Welcome back to the next episode of Ranked. We're here to discuss some arbitrary list of whatever I decide to randomly rank together and of course to break down one of the most recent directors for a film that has come out for the French Dispatch. We're going to be breaking down the Wes Anderson filmography and of course I have a friend that is just as much of a Wes Anderson fan as myself and that is uh, Sush. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Q. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. No, of course. Yeah, we discussed David Fincher. uh, And, you know, I feel like a totally different transition from Fincher, from like very grindy thriller to, you know, the more poppy, relaxing Wes Anderson films. So a bit of a change. Yeah, a good contrast between the two, I'd say. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Well, you know, contrast in style of film. I feel like they're both directed towards like, 20 year old white man so i feel like the audience they got that going for that (laughs) yeah you know the audience is the same that's why we're here yeah exactly just a bunch of film bros right exactly yeah yeah andrea uh, my fiance was supposed to do the podcast but i realized she was a female so she couldn't make the cut so we we took her out (laughs) there you go yeah but uh, I was more curious, uh, before we start with the top 10 films that he's made, uh, I was just curious, uh, what was like the first introduction to you for Wes Anderson? What was your experience with him as a director? Honestly, uh, you know, probably similar to yourself. Uh, I was introduced to him through uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel uh, back when that came out in theaters. And I saw that with my mom and it was actually kind of a funny story because we did a double feature. And we went in and saw Grand Budapest Hotel and then followed it up with Kick-Ass 2, if I recall correctly, which is like two very different films, uh, but both very stylistic at the same time. But I remember just being so drawn into the symmetry and the colors and and the the way that he told the story of the Grand Budapest Hotel. And and that really, uh, I think it was one of those catalysts as well that really got me into film a little bit more as too. Uh, and one of those other jumping points in my life that really pushed that needle for me to be like, wow, okay, film is more than just, you know, um, trying to waste some time. It is an art form and there's, there's depth to it. And uh, yeah, so that, that was my introduction to him. And ever since then, I've been a big, big fan of his work. I guess I'm not too surprised it's Grand Budapest Hotel because I think if I was to take a guess, I think 95% of the people that have seen Wes Anderson films started with Grand Budapest. I feel like that was the introduction for most people. Maybe yeah, I'd, was, ha- I'd have to agree with that. I think at least in our generation, for, I think so. Yeah, for our age group, yeah, probably because it's more mainstream. It was nominated for Best Picture. You know, it's got that going for it. Man, one of my biggest wishes to watch a movie in theaters would be Grand Budapest. I would really like to see that. But my first experience, I'm trying to remember if you were in the class, but it was a university class for the film studies. Were, were you there with me? Oh, okay. I don't think we were in the same class, but we did take the same class, just I think two semesters apart, okay. yeah. most likely. Yeah, I don't think you were there, but I, that was the first time I saw it was I went to that film class. And I saw a bunch of films uh, in that class where we watched a movie, studied, discussed it, wrote a paper on it or whatever. Right. And I remember yeah. Grand Budapest was the one where I remember watching it in that class and just being completely blown away. Like, what? This is not like Bicycle Thieves and Citizen Kane and Baby Driver that I watched the class before. No, no, this was like totally different for me. And I was just so mesmerized and just blown away by the performances and the comedy and the drama and the production design. 
And yeah, I, you know, I had to watch his entire filmography since then. So I've seen most of his films twice, I think, overall. I, I did a binge a year and something ago, and I did a binge a few weeks ago. Uh, yeah, I've seen most of his movies twice now. And yeah, I just love the guy. Yeah, yeah, I've seen a good chunk of them a couple times. Uh, a few I, I wish to revisit eventually. Um, I feel pretty confident about uh, what I've seen of his work. I, I love that they showed you Grand Budapest in class because... Uh, we watched a weird one called uh, Beneath Clouds. It was an Australian independent film. We never really touched anything modern, I should say. I mean, we did we did catch a couple things maybe that were a little bit more modern, but nothing like Wes Anderson. It was, like you said, a lot of old like Citizen Kane, uh, Double Indemnity, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So interesting that they showed showed something like that i guess i missed out a little bit <laughs> yeah i was i was shocked too that i heard it was one from the 2014 i was thinking wow you don't ever hear the word 2000 in front of a film study movie so you know it was, it was a little <laughs> odd yeah it's normally yeah i saw double indemnity as well so you know it's normally that field yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. and there's oh, a few cool. of these that i haven't rewatched. i think i've only seen two of them once and they're near the bottom of my list i don't know if maybe that just means you know it was more of an unfair treatment on my end or you know i didn't rewatch it because i don't want to right so you know that's just how it is but we can, enough, right? yeah we can get to the top 10 here he's only made 10 but uh we can move on to the worst film according to us for wes anderson and that is going to be life aquatic with steve sizu did i get the last name right I think so. I think it's like Sisu or something. Is it French? I don't know. There's, right. there's always some, some French angle to his work. Yeah, yeah. You clearly can tell he has like a love for the French film. But yeah. uh, I gave it number 9 out of 10, and you put it at 10 out of 10. So this is your least favorite of his filmography. Uh, what? Why is it? Uh, well, for me, I mean, to, to be perfectly clear, all of Wes Anderson's films are... are a, the highest quality you know he always puts a lot of effort and a lot of love and passion into his work um that for me like with the life aquatic i felt like uh it just didn't really have much of a point to it like i felt like it was just a couple a bunch of characters going about their day as these you know explorers as these sea seamen and and just like the relations between them and you know, a lot of his movies are similar to that sense, and I have I have some of those movies of his that are more in that vein at, towards the bottom of my list. Um, because, especially for this one, it was just that I found there was uh, not a clear point to it, but it was still a very fun and immersive film. Like, I, I was able to, you know, put myself into that world with steve zissou and, and and hang out with the gang and uh you know i, I really appreciated that about it and, I, and it's something that he manages to accomplish in in all his films yeah this one definitely is more of like a meandering chill vibe with it uh, which definitely yeah. isn't an issue but it's more of you know i guess i'm used to wes anderson's fast cuts quippy style uh you know very flashy and this one is very much more like let's mellow down let's just you know, enjoy the sea ride with all of the boys. And it's it's a fun movie. I, I agree with you that I don't think there's a bad film of the bunch. I think there's three that would have like a segment below the rest of his films. Like I think most of his mm -hmm. films are like high up, fantastic. And there's three that are just good. And this would be one of those that I like it. I wouldn't say I love it. I, I have it at nine here. 
But yeah, I think very much I love the aesthetic of the boat. I love that shot where you got to see like it was like, a, you know, like a diagram of all the different rooms and, you know, the camera yeah. moving through all of them, like stuff like that. You know, I'm a, I'm a sucker for those kind of shots for Wes Anderson. He hits them to a stride here. I think they work really well. Yeah, it's a beautiful film and the camera flows really well throughout the different sets that he's developed for it, you know, telling you different stories and you you start to see kind of who Wes Anderson is and what his whole deal is, I think, with this film. Because it was, uh, you know, it's at the kind of at the earlier stages of his filmography. And I think this is one of those films where he, you know, started to stretch his legs a little bit, started to show off, you know, this is really what I can do. This is really what I want to be doing. And I give him a lot of props for that. And I think, uh, you know, if you this is a great movie to just throw on. You know, and you just hang out, you know, maybe you got a glass of wine or something, and you just sit, and you just hang out with the gang as they, uh, you know, they're on the search for the shark, you know, the good old jaguar shark. Yeah. Um, that, that's how I feel about it. Like you said, it's it's, it's just a cool, chill uh, adventure. Yeah, and this is one of the two that I haven't rewatched yet, so I might enjoy it more on a rewatch, especially because, I don't know about you, but I'm a big bill murray and jeff goldblum fan i love them both and these are this is like their most prominent role in a wes anderson film so you know i feel like i should love this more yeah yeah i I agree with that too like i feel the same way i know that it's a it's a cult classic film a lot of people do you know find an attachment to this film and and i see it i see it there i just like yeah maybe i need to watch it again because i've also only seen it once and you know, maybe I just wasn't in the right frame of mind, but uh, for it to just really like, uh, you know, catch on uh, and me to fall in love with it. But it's definitely a really a fun movie, you know, at the end of the day. I agree. Uh, we can go on to number nine, which is the one that I have at last place. Uh, we have Bottle Rocket. So I have this at last. You have it at eight. Um, and the reason why I have it at last is probably because it's his debut film. Uh, I feel like he hasn't really gotten his Wes Anarisms yet. And, you know, we have a lot of the classic Owen Wilson's there. You know, the crew is all there still. But it's, like, I feel like the camera work isn't as smooth as every other film that we'll later see. Like, I feel like the production design isn't as, like, flamboyant as we'll see in every other film. Like, it, it feels very mundane and not, you know, when I go into a Wes Anderson film, I want to get into that vibe, that atmosphere. And I don't have that with Bottle Rocket. So, it, I... This is definitely my least favorite. Uh, this is the other one that I haven't rewatched yet uh, because I've, I don't know, I don't know if I'll ever have the desire to rewatch this one, but for the most part, it is very fun. Yeah, I get, I get where you're coming from. And I, 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 I agree with that to an extent that it's just like, it, it doesn't really have that, like the Wes Anderson stamp of approval that you, you've come to know and love like now. Uh, for me, I, I really enjoyed how funny it was. I, Honestly, I can't say that I know what they, the characters even said to each other. I feel like most of the time it was just like Owen Wilson, you know, talking and just like having conversation with the other characters. And that's what this movie really is. And it's just like a couple of guys talking to each other, you know, being dumb and like, you know, being criminals and <laughs> are trying to be these mass criminals. But really, they're just a bunch of petty thieves and, you know, they don't actually really know what they're doing. But they're trying and it's the mess of it all is really funny to me. And I, I, you know, even that the time they spend at the motel and the attachment that uh, Luke Wilson has with the, the maid and 
it's like it it's just such a wild and weird story that's grounded in reality compared to the rest of his films like i think maybe the royal tenenbaums in terms of being grounded in that reality is like the closest thing to it and maybe rushmore as well but uh it's just that yeah just these these regular people just hanging out and just getting into a bunch of mess together and uh, for me it was really funny I have it at eight, so it's a little bit higher than yours. Yeah, and to be fair, I do think that because it's missing out on the West Anderisms, I do think it does feel the most grounded. It feels like the most normal. Like you, you can actually feel like okay, these people are going to a hotel. Like you kind of feel how all this, you know, it, it feels like actual people instead of like caricatures that like you kind of get for a lot of these other movies. So it does have that going for it. And I do think all the characters are really great. I think the writing's still sharp. He's still, you know, is clearly a talented director and writer. But I think, um, I think the pacing's still a bit off. I feel like he hasn't gotten that mm-hmm. quick uh, moment. I feel like it drags a little too long with Luke yeah. and the maid. Like for a second, I thought the whole movie was just going to be about instead of the, you know, the, like the whole robbing. Instead of just being about that, it was going to transition to him just falling in love with the maid and that was gonna be like right. i thought okay i guess this whole movie was like kind of a psych out because now it's all about him and the maid but then it quickly cut like about a third left they went back to that storyline so the pacing dragged for a little bit where i, I kind of just thought oh the story totally changed and i didn't realize that but you know um he's just getting his yeah. he's just getting his toes wet he's, he's just getting used to it yeah no and I, and I agree with you i just i i watched this with my brother so i had a bit more fun with it i was able to kind of laugh about a bunch yeah. of it and bounce things off him and so i had a lot of fun with that one so it's a it's a little higher on my list for me but it definitely has a bit of pacing issues and you can tell that it's one of those it's almost like a, a student film that he created i don't know the backstory behind it but i know that it's just like they were all roommates so they made this together as kind of that first Yes. You know, touch point. But it is, there is a, a short film, isn't there? Like, isn't it, wasn't it originally a short film? Uh, possibly. That, that I don't know. But I do know that uh, Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson uh, went to the same university together. Like, they mm-hmm. yeah. were living together for a bit. Yeah. So they were, they're really young. They're just having a good time trying to do something. And uh, I have a lot of respect for that coming from uh, having, you know, helped some indie filmmakers and for I sure. kind of understand that mindset. So I, I, I have some respect for this one, uh, but I, I do see that there, you know, there are some, uh, you know, pacing issues and, and the way that it jumps from the maid story to the robbery, it's, it's a little janky, but it, it came together for me and I, I enjoyed myself. I had a good time with it. Yeah. And, and to be fair, like for a debut film, this is fantastic. Like this is a really fun debut. Uh, It's very well written. Uh, He clearly knows what he's doing. So yeah, for a debut, really great. Yeah. Agreed. So we can move on to number eight here. We have Isle of Dogs. So I have it at number eight. Sush has it at number nine. So I, I don't know about you, but to me, these are like the clear bottom three. The other seven are like a league of their own. And it's funny that we both have these three in our bottom three here. Yeah, it's uh, I think with when it comes to Wes Anderson, we have a very similar uh, appreciation for his films. Uh, that's that's what I've gotten from our conversations over the, the you know, couple of years we've uh, known each other. And I can agree that these are the, t- the bottom three, but that's in no way indicative of no. the quality of his, his work. Like, if you, you know, just Isle of Dogs Gone, it's, 
on its own as a stop motion, you know, animated film, it's, it's it, impressive. The, you know, the amount of work that went into developing each of these characters, giving life to each of these dogs, making them unique, uh, you know, and, and, and telling a, you know, fairly interesting story about, uh, you know, a, his version of Japan and uh, this world uh, that has outlawed dogs. And uh, it, I thought that that was really funny and really cool. Um, but for me, much like uh, Life Aquatic, it's just you're kind of just hanging out with the pack, you know, you're kind of just, you know, roaming this wasteland of garbage with these dogs and just it, there isn't, it doesn't feel like there's a, a final destination, like an end point, even though there is clear, a clear narrative that pushes you in that direction. For me, it felt more just hanging out with the dogs and, you know, getting to know them. That That's what I got out of that movie for the most part. Yeah, so what I gathered from this so far is uh, Life Aquatic's hanging out with the boys and Isla Dog's hanging out with the boys and uh, Sush has them both in dead last. So Sush just does not like hanging out with the boys. <laughs> That's what I got from that. But I, know I, I guess agree so. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I agree with you that I, I really like the stop motion that he does with these films. Obviously, we'll get to Fantastic Mr. Fox soon, but I think he's able to do things that he isn't able to do sometimes with the live action and that's with uh, the, the coloring. I feel like, uh, you know, these buildings are always full of life and color, but he's able to make the sky gray for Isle of Dogs. And he's able to make the sky golden yellow for Fantastic Mr. Fox. And so he's able to make these worlds almost feel like it's this like foreign concept, this world that we're entering that feels so real and interesting and beautiful. And uh, Isle of Dogs does the same thing as Fantastic Mr. Fox does, where it has fantastic animation. It looks great. I don't think it looks as great as Fantastic Mr. Fox, or I guess maybe uh, maybe I was more blown away by Mr. Fox because I saw it first, and it was the first one that he did. But uh, Isle of Dogs definitely has a great feel to it. I think it has a great uh, voice cast. Like I think every big name is in this movie doing some kind of voice acting work. So I think maybe uh, yeah, if he's able to get even bigger names like he already does for uh, voice acting because it might be easier for them, uh, all the power to him. I'm down for a third stop motion if he wants to do it but you know i i, I like the movie i can't say i love it you know maybe it's because i'm not like a, a huge dog person so a movie all about dogs isn't like the most exciting for me but like my fiance loves it so whenever we go oh let's throw in a wes anderson it's one of the first ones she would recommend she's like oh well let's watch isle of dogs and i'm kind of the one like eh, you know there's other movies but I like it. I think the, yeah, the setting of Japanese is interesting. I think the, well, I really think now that COVID's a thing, uh, I think it's interesting the concept of the dogs are all have some kind of contagious uh, illness. So we have to throw them on an island so none of us can catch it. I think that as I don't know if it's aged great or poorly, uh, but it's definitely uh, has a different, you know, a different viewing point over the last two years. So, you know, I think it's interesting. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of depth to it, and I think Anderson is trying to say a lot with it, and maybe that's the issue that I have, is that it's just, it's saying a lot in terms of, you know, government oppression, it's saying a lot about, you know, um, you know, discriminating against, you know, in this case, it's the dogs, but you can extrapolate that outside of it as well. Sure. And he's just, he's saying a lot of different things, and like he does in a lot of his movies, but um, yeah, for me, it just, it didn't all come together. And so at the end of it, I was like, I didn't really understand what it was trying to communicate to us. 
you know, so that's why I left feeling like we, you know, I just hung out with some cool dogs and, you know, went on a fun adventure. But yeah, it's again, much like Life Aquatic, it's this one is a little bit more serious, not as fun and uplifting as Life Aquatic. Uh, but it's one of those things you could throw on, on, you know, on a rainy afternoon and, and watch them and, and watch these dogs, uh, you know, try to get back to civilization. And it's a lot of fun that at that, at the end of the day, his movies are a lot of fun, regardless of if they hit the, hit the mark or not. Uh, and I think that's, uh, that says a lot about who he is as a filmmaker and as an artist. For sure. Yeah. I think a lot of his movies, you could associate a color with it and i think it's interesting that for isle of dogs you know your dogs you think of something more like cheerful and lovable and the color you would definitely associate with that one is like gray so it's interesting yeah. that yeah it's definitely more of like a downer of a movie it's not as beautiful and like you know vivid as some of these other films so you know yeah i agree it's a, it's a more of a different mood than his other films yeah but nonetheless, a lot of fun. I remember I, I saw this one uh, in theaters by myself again. And I, I was so like, I was like, oh, Wes Anderson, this is his follow up from, you know, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. This is a stop motion film. This is going to be amazing. And I, I went in it and I was just like, why did I just watch? Like, I this is not what I expected at all. But and at first I was like, oh, I don't know about this. Like, I don't know how to feel about this film. Uh, and then I didn't watch it again uh, a couple, like a year ago. And uh, I remember liking it more the second time because I connect, could connect a little bit more of the story. It was so much more drab compared to the Grand Budapest Hotel. And it's so very co different contrast. You know? For sure. Yeah, so we can move on to number seven. It might be one of the biggest differences here. I, I think you hit it on the head here where I feel like most of the ranked podcasts, I tend to have like one or two wildly different takes than whoever my guest is like uh, halloween right. me and my brother got into an argument about one or two i feel like fincher uh you know i loved gone girl and you didn't uh, and then yeah. pta uh, you know <laughs> seagull loves uh, the master so you know i feel like i always get into a fight with someone but uh, this one i feel like we're mostly on the same page uh, but this one might be the biggest uh, difference we're at number seven uh, well we actually have a tie for four movies uh, for the upcoming four so at this point, we're going to go in the order that Sush has them. So at four, we have the Royal Tenenbaums. Sush has it at seven, and I have this one at four. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, this, is, I, I, this is one I watched recently for the first time, and I, I had heard a lot of good things about this. And it's a great film. I think this is where you start getting that very interesting, uh, you know, like contrast between characters that you find find in those uh, ensemble casts that he has in his films and it really starts coming together the story itself is is you know fairly interesting you know if, if it's about about a family of broken people that deeply cares about each other you know despite all their differences and i thought that that was really powerful in the way that it communicates those differences especially with them being you know gifted orphans and it's taking that angle and approach that he has on this and having uh you know different characters like owen wilson who's you know a friend of the family but also somewhat of an antagonist uh, i don't know if you can really call him that but you know just he causes issues within the family and i love that fight you know ben stiller uh, and them fighting at the end and yeah. and it's it's a really interesting and, and funny look at, at a family of you know unique individuals brought together you know for 
as this like broken piece together family. I thought that was super interesting. I think just in terms of the other films that are coming up, it, it, it falls down the ranks a little bit for me, but it's definitely a step above the last three that we discussed. For sure, yeah. I, yeah, I really like this one. But this one, uh, it's funny that it's a tie between three other films. Um, for me, I like from four to seven. I like, I lo- I, I like them all, and depending on the mood, you know, the ranking might change. Uh, so this is right. definitely in like that pack there. And I agree with everything you said. I think the main reason why I love it, and I think why... A lot of people really like this one. I think it's one of his most popular films. Uh, it's just because it's just about family. And I feel like it's one of the most probably personal films that he's made. Like, I think most people can watch this film and, like, actually emotionally resonate with just, like, you know, fighting with your family and just resonating and coming together because, you know, like, blood is thicker than water. Even though these people are all adopted and all have these issues, and even though like there's so much drama between all these people and so many layers that they really go through throughout the whole movie, um, at the end of the day, you know, if you haven't seen the film, I'll say a quick spoiler, uh, maybe just skip ahead five minutes, but I think at the end of the day, the father dying is just really emotional and really powerful. It's probably like the most powerful death, I think, of any film Wes Anderson does, where they're all there at his funeral and man, like you feel that, right? Like he, the father kind of, you know, kind of had like a coin flip turn where he started, you know, realizing that he wasn't a good father to everybody. And he's like helping his past wife, re- like connect with her lover. And he's trying to like bring all the kids together. And so when he finally dies, everybody is finally like reconciled with how he treated them all in the past. And they all go to his funeral and it's this great moment. And they're all saying he would have loved this. Like it was really emotional and powerful uh, so honestly, you know, most of the film I think is really good, but those last 30 minutes get me. Like, I get really into the film near the end. And so I think it, it ends strong. And I think that's why this might be one of his more popular films. I just think it's, you know, most of his films are very, like, I don't want to say cartoonish, but, you know, like, they're very, like, in your face and animated and, like, so stylistic that it doesn't even feel real. And this film has that sweet spot where it definitely has some gorgeous shots and gorgeous production designs and mannerisms that Wes Anderson tends to have. Um, but it also has, um, like, you know, it feels real at times. It definitely still feels like it's in the real world. And so I think it has that sweet spot that makes it perfect. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. And I think that those last, you know, that last 30 minutes uh, and building up to the death of his, of the father is, is super powerful. Um, it It really brings the whole film together. And that's what... You know, I do really appreciate about this, you know, as an ensemble film. Uh, it could have been just us hanging out with the family and getting to know them. But, you know, it really brings it all together with the death and the weight of that death at the end. It's 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 to me, it's, you know, what makes this film stand out from the last three. Uh, and definitely, uh, you know, I can see why it's so popular amongst people, because like you said, family is something that we can all relate to. You know, regardless of if you have a perfect family, you know, quote unquote, or if you have a super dysfunctional family, there's always going to be some arguments of some kind at some point. Uh, And and the way that this deals with those arguments is, you know, I think it's really powerful. And the the varying degrees of how the siblings deal with it, you know, like Ben Stiller is super, you know, upset with his father and he can't stand his father at all. Whereas Luke Wilson is a little bit more open to understanding his father and 
those kind of things. So you see the variation, the levels of, of trust that are still there. And, and, and I like how that's communicated too, because with Ben Stiller being, you know, supposedly the youngest of the family. And so that's why he would interpret it different than the eldest of the family being Luke Wilson. Exactly. Yeah, they all react differently to the family situation, and it just makes it feel more real. Like, you know, like they're not all acting the same. They have their own personalities in response to, you know, the father and the family as a whole. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's just a heartwarming story while, while still being very sad at the end. And it's just, yeah, just something that we can all relate to. And that's really powerful. Yeah, I would say this and Isle of Dogs would be probably his two darkest films, or at least more yeah. serious films. So, you know, interesting that they're back to back. Yeah, no, definitely interesting. I also love that, you know, Royal Tenenbaum is Gene Hackman. I think Gene was outstanding in this, and he really played that that role to a T. And uh, he's just got such a way with uh, casting his films. Like He's able to find the perfect people for the characters, and that's uh, it's something that I've always loved and appreciated about Wes and and his the ability to bring people back as well. I think is super uh, interesting because whether he writes those characters specifically for those actors, I'm sure he does. Um, but the fact that he can bring everyone back in and and still have fresh faces like Gene Hackman and Angelica Houston in this, and you know, um, I, I think this it. might be the only film that Gwyneth Paltrow is in of his, unless she shows up as a voice actor elsewhere. But, you know, stuff like that. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, the voice work is it's hard to, to uh, distinguish. That she, she might reappear. But yeah, I believe this is her only one. Same with Ben Stiller. This is the only one we see of him as well. Yeah, that too, yeah. Yeah, and you know me. I'm a big Ben Stiller fan, so I'm always excited yeah. to see him. Yeah, he was fantastic in this. I love his his tracksuits. Yeah, yeah, his giant red tracksuits. Different colors. Yeah, and how he's wearing the black one at the at the funeral. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's always the red one, but yeah, during the funeral, it's a black tracksuit. Black one. Yeah, that yeah. was a that was a good joke. Yeah, and even just that scene, um, you know, with uh, with Luke Wilson's character, where he you know tries to commit suicide. Just that whole how the family is all mourning about it, and everyone is like you know, dealing with that reality in their own way. And that was also super powerful, I think, and really showed how much this family truly cares about each other. Uh, I think that really, uh, really, you know, showed the the audience that the level of care that is found within this family. Uh, I will say, though, I think that the angle between Gwyneth Paltrow and Luke Wilson was a little questionable. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I understand they're orphans, you know, they're not blood related at all, but that's, it's such a, it's like incestuous without like really being incestuous. It's, it's just a little questionable for me, but you know, it worked for the story, but it's definitely an odd, uh, odd part of the film. Yes. It's kind of like Paul Rudd and his sister in Clueless, right? Where you're like, technically it's not incest, but also, you know, it's kind of incest. Like, yeah, (laughs) like I get you optically it definitely is yeah 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 i remember uh so me and andrea we you know every like beginning of october we try and figure out okay well what's like a nice niche halloween couple costume we could do 
yeah um just for the two of us that no one else would really get but the two of us like you know we like to have a you know we just pick some obscure movie that only us would really appreciate and she first pitched out like she first pitched oh Let's do, you know, uh, Luke Wilson and Gwyneth Paltrow for uh, Royal Tenenbaums. And I was like, eh, like, do, uh, do we want to dress up as brother and sister? Like, I don't know. Like, you know, it's up to you, Andrew, I guess, if you want to. We ended up not going that route, but, you yeah. know. It's definitely an option. It's yeah. there. It's available. It's, you know, maybe next year that'll be our couple costume. But, you know, there we'll you see go. how risky we want to get. <laughs> right. There you go. Yeah. On to number six here. Uh, once again, it's tied with Royal Tenenbaums, but we have Moonrise Kingdom. So I have this All one right. at five, and then Sush has this one at six. Yeah, so actually I just swapped this. Uh, I had this ahead of the next film, uh, but after just doing some thinking today, I, I swapped them back, and I so moved to moved Moonrise Kingdom down to, uh, you said six? This was six? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, there's, you know, they're pretty. It's pretty much tied with uh, the next film, but for me, Moonrise Kingdom is just a a great adventure story of two young, you know, young kids. Well, preteens. I don't know how old they are. I think they're supposed to be like twelve or thirteen, right? So, just these young people kind of finding their own and wanting to be adults, but not really being close to being adults. Uh, they're looking for that, you know individuality and finding solace within each other and and a little bit of love and uh i just love how both sides are kind of chasing them and trying to like catch them and and you know whatever punish them for being for not listening and uh i just it's such a wild ride um that i just always have have a lot of fun when i watch that one it's just and great Great like set design, great locations, great costumes. Uh, it's just really Wes Anderson. Like I think this is when he really stretched him, himself out. He really like you know started to do what he was like born to do with this film. Yeah, this one it feels very Wes Anderson, obviously in its style, but it also uh, it feels very different than most of his other movies, mostly because. It's just—it's a movie about young love, about kids being kids. I feel like we don't have that touched on at all in his other films. It's either like adults reflecting on being kids, like Darjeeling Limited yeah. or Royal Tenenbaums, or it's like a kid and his parents, like his father, and how that relationship works, like Life Aquatic and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, but this one's yeah. very much just like two kids, just young love and just how innocent it is and pure and you know we got like the 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 summer camp we have you know like the whole woods and beach vibe of everything it feels very like fresh and blossoming with like the greens and yellows it's very vibrant so you really get that feeling of like you're watching and you're going that's what it was like being a kid you know just summer camp like it's just kooky and fun so yeah i feel like the vibe this film is is a little different than the rest of them and so that's why I, I like this one. I have it a five. It's, it's very relaxing and enjoyable and just reflective. Like, you know, I, I think of like when I was 12 at summer camps and just how like wacky and fun it was, like how it looks there. You know, it probably wasn't as chaotic as it was in the movie, but, you know, it feels that way at times. Yeah. And I don't think you had Edward Norton as your scout leader. Oh, no, I wish I did. I know. <laughs> that would have been great. Yeah. yeah he's he's, he's great in there. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's super fantastic in this film, and yeah, it's it's a it's another one of those films where you just like you feel good watching it. Like you just you're able to 
reflect on what it, what it was like being a kid because it really is pure from that standpoint that you know although the characters are quite mature it's like you think about yourself as a kid at that time you you thought of yourself as like a mature individual you know you thought right. you wanted to be an adult right you're you're kind of in that weird phase where you're becoming a teenager and you're just you're trying to like find who you are a little bit but you're you're not really you, you, you like you want to be an adult by this point you know you're done with being a kid with not having you know when not with not having people's trust and like your independence and and this really like uh brings that home i think with having them t- the two kids run off and be together because that's you know they're not allowed or they're not given the chance to be independent and have that uh autonomy that they so desperately want but they find it within each other and so they decide hey screw it let's run off and you know let's let's go go be adults go have fun yeah yeah i agree it's funny that it's still kids like thinking that they're adults and you definitely have that mindset when you're a child like man i thought i was i was like man my my parents don't understand i'm i'm very mature i i'm very much an adult and you know that's just the mentality that you have so it's fun to see these two kids who just move out on their own They, they, they can handle the life just the two of them they don't need any adult to tell them what to do so yeah, a very fun movie. Also a great cast. Like I think this is the only one that has Bruce Willis and Frances McDormand too. You know, I love them both. So that that's great to see. Yeah, well, she comes back in, in French Dispatch, but I think otherwise she. I think that's the only one that she's in. But yeah, only thing for Bruce Willis, which is uh, you know uh, interesting that he makes an appearance on this. And I I like the 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 you know the characterization of the adults like the parents like you know that they're not perfect they have their issues you know a bit of adultery a bit of you know they're not really happy with their their partners and that kind of stuff like if i recall like Frances mcdormand's characters she's kind of uh, at the her wit's end when it comes to her her marriage a little bit and so there's that aspect too which i think kind of helps throw those kids into shambles because their parents lives aren't you know put together then their lives aren't put together and so you know they try to take that responsibility and that autonomy into their own hands because their parents don't have well you know for a lack of a better term their shit together right yeah i think it's interesting that uh, you know the the adults don't really know how to adult and the kids don't really know how to adult like we're all basically children inside like you know we're all trying to survive this world and it's all chaotic for everybody so we're all on the same page yeah yeah, and I really think that's what he was trying to communicate with this. And that's yeah. another thing that people can relate to. It's just, you know, you get to be an adult and you think that all of a sudden, you know, something switches in your head or, you know, and you're you're going to be this adult that you've, I, I'd, you know, you've come to believe is real as you grow up. But, you know, once you actually become an adult, you realize that everyone's just kind of faking it until they make it kind of just taking it day by day and trying to hold things together. And, and that's just the, the fact of the matter, right? I think this does a good job at, at communicating that and uh, reminding us that, you know, we are all kids really and that we just got to, you know, maybe respect each other and, and, you know, believe in each other a little bit more. All right. So we can move on to number five here, um, which... Uh, as you can probably predict here, we have the newest one that is still in theaters right now, so we'll try not to spoil too much, but it's going to be the French Dispatch. So I have this one at number six, and then Suge has it at number five. So, you know, we're a little reverse on the moonrise. 
Yeah, and we're basically in this in agreement with Moonrise, but I just switched it this morning because I saw the French Dispatch yesterday and I had a chance to kind of sleep on it last night and think about it a little bit further. And I just, yeah, I just, I think the fact that this film is more of like an art piece and like, to me, it was like you're going through, you're being guided through a museum and it was yeah. a museum of Wes Anderson. And it's like that, the 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 uh exhibit was called the french dispatch and i just to me that was fantastic and i i really love that everything in this film felt thought through and there was a purpose to every shot and there was something was trying to be communicated and, and everything that you saw was really artful and full of life whether there's you know a point to everything it's a little muddier because of the different you know stories that are told throughout this one and you know uh just there's so many different themes that are being communicated so it's more of like a you know a, a compilation of stories than anything um but to me it's just that the fact that he is able to be this artistic with this film uh, it really stands out to me and that's why i put it over uh moonrise kingdom yeah no i i agree with you i actually really like this movie i have it at six here like right now, I actually think it's number five for me, but I'm trying. I'm trying to not be biased because I just watched this like for the first right. time a few weeks ago, and I was just so, you know, I I, I loved this movie. I really was in love with it, and uh, you know, your first experience in the theaters with Wes Anderson was Grand Budapest, and then you had I Love Dogs. Uh, I didn't watch either of those. This was my first experience in the theater with a Wes Anderson movie. And so I, I try not to let that muddy my opinion because I was just, the whole time, I was sitting there just grinning from ear to ear, just so happy that I finally got to see a Wes Anderson film in the theaters. And I just, I had a fantastic time. I think uh, the film is so unique, even though it's a Wes Anderson film. Uh, and, you know, he has that style that's so clear throughout the entire movie. I, it's still different. It's still so unique. And obviously, uh, it's like anthology series where it's different stories throughout. It's not like one overarching story like the rest of his movies. But I mm -hmm. think it's also because it's in the style of like a newspaper. Uh, you know, and obviously, it's the French Dispatch. It's like the, the, the newspaper press. And so he's kind of have this love for... The newspaper industry, obviously, like the French film industry, just by like the the, the sets and like the, the way it's shot sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also a love letter, I think, to art. Like this isn't just a movie about movies. Obviously, most of his films have always had an underlying tone of paintings. He loves artwork. The Boy with Apple and Grand Budapest and like the painting and Moonrise. Like he clearly loves paintings. And so he's always had that shown throughout, but this one also has, I feel like it has whatever the writing was that Timothy Chalamet was doing in the film. And then it also has food. It has like a segment for that. It has segments for all these different forms of artwork. And to me, this movie is just a love letter to art. It's just a movie that is just him kind of just doing his own thing. Like, you know what? I got the money. I got the cast. I can do whatever I want. I have full freedom in making my film at this point because I'm such a well-regarded director. I just want to appreciate art. And that's all the movie was to me. It was just, it was all these different art forms are present and shown so well. Even animation, he has that in there. All these different things put together is so unique and so fun. I, I like my issue is like, it's not 
super emotional. It's probably his driest film. Like there's not like a whole lot of depth to these characters because it's an anthology. And you know, like, like there's stuff that like I found was a bit slow at times compared to his other films, which seems so like sharp and direct all the time. But I, I'm trying not to like let my bias show for the fact that I saw this in a the theater for the first time uh, for my first Wes Anderson. And I, I just loved it. I think this movie is fantastic. It's probably like I right now, I think it's better than Moonrise Kingdom, even though I have it above it. Uh, I'm trying not to be biased because I'm sure maybe after I sit on it for a few months, it might change. But right now I'm very high on French Dispatch. Go watch it, guys. Go see it right now. Yeah, definitely take the time to go see it. It's worth worth seeing on the big screen. And, you know, I, I you know, I give you the benefit of the doubt. I think that seeing these pieces and these shots on the big screen, it's like seeing a giant mural, you know. It, it, that's how fantastic a lot of the scenes and a lot of the set design and the shots that are were selected for this film look and feel like even from the beginning of the the you know the waiter taking the the drinks and everything up yeah. to the French Dispatch building and going through the hallways and and just that shot of the building like in itself is artistic and and it reminds me uh, you know a little bit I, I don't know the name of the painting but you know that that painting with the different stairwells kind of going in different directions yep. it's very famous that that's what it made me think of a little bit um and you're right that's just it's it's all about art different forms of art uh and how they kind of impact us um you know on a di- on on a on each different level and it's so unique i just love how everything was so thought out and looked so good and and it really is a callback to you know old french film uh, it, this could have been made a hundred years ago in the way that it's shot and how the sets are set up and, and how everything is, is designed. It, it's very reminiscent of the old filmmakers uh, from, you know, the early French French films and just even early films in general. Um, and I think that's something that he's always sort of strived towards is using those practical set pieces to add sort of a depth and a le- level of creativity to his films that, uh, you know, not a lot of people take that route these days anymore of creating those sets and, and, and not having them like, you know, that they're in a set, you know, like, you know, that it's not yeah a- an actual location. And I think that's what's also significant about it is now all these sets are blended in to be, to look like they're real, like they're a living, breathing place that you can go visit. But this, like, although it is a, a place that you could visit, you know that it's a set and that it's designed to tell a story. Um, like I think of that uh, during Chalamet's story, uh, they're in the, the that cafe and there's that sliding door and you can see that they're, the guy, the extra who's hired to slide the door is just there because someone needs to slide the door open. And But he's part of the scene and it's like he's opening up the cafe to the streets but you can tell that it's all a set and it but it's amazing the level of detail and the colors and, and and the angles that are chosen like his his use of symmetry in this film you know it's it's talked about in a lot of his filmography but i think in this it was it was really exceptional the way that he uh, set up a lot of his films um the different stories especially yeah, I really like this movie. I'm starting to convince myself, yeah, this is deservedly like five or four. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because you're high on it too. I, I really liked this movie. I was so high on it. Uh, like you said, that first shot of him going up all the stairs with the food, with the tray of food, no joke. I got chills watching that. Like, that was the moment where I went, 
fuck yes. I am in a Wes Anderson movie at a movie theater. Yeah. This is the shit. I got so... I looked at Andrew because I was sitting beside her. I went, this is movies. Like, th this is what I was wanting right here. It was so cool. It was just... It was gorgeous. It was just a one-shot uh, and it looked so great. Uh, it was fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think uh, this one is mostly in black and white. And so I think when they use color, which they definitely throw it in quite a bit throughout the film, I would not call this a black and white movie. But no, yeah. um, whenever they do have color, it becomes that much more like important. Like a feel, like you really feel it when they add the color to it. Like whenever this shows the food, it's then in color to really make the food look that much more delicious. Uh, little things like that. Uh, I just thought a lot of his creative control was really good. Like this fucker knows how to make a movie. Like he knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Seriously, this guy knows how to make movies. It's uh, it's just knows he knows how to make art and he respects art. And it's, it's always so much fun to just like live in his world for a few hours. And I really like this. And just like, I felt like I was part of the French dispatch and I felt like, you know, maybe I was a beat writer there and I just like was yeah. experiencing the varying stories that each uh, journalist encounters uh, you know, even telling the story, like Tilda Swinton's character telling the story about about Benicio del Toro and the the prison, and and I just I love when you when you talk about how they use black and white and then cut to color to really emphasize things, like how that first uh, encounter with Benicio del Toro and and Lea Sedu, uh, and it's all in black and white, and you you kind of realize what he's doing, and then when you when they finally reveal the painting. And what it looks like it's in full color and you get to really you feel like the the passion that he has as an artist and what he's trying to produce on that uh canvas and i thought that that was a great way of really uh you know selling that impact of the the story and, and of those moments um and there's there's quite a few of them throughout this story like you said with the the food and uh, just super special the way that he mixes black and white and like I'm a sucker for black and white I absolutely yeah. love black and white so um, just mixing it with color and then adding that extra punch to the scene uh, just the color pops super super cool super stylistic and I'm I'm all here for that yeah and is this his first film with black and white I feel like his films are so outwardly full of color and full of life and so i feel like uh, with the newspaper industry i think it's great that he did the black and white choice because you know uh, the, the press is in black and white so i mm -hmm. liked that choice he made uh but yeah this is the first time he's done it and so it is a little out of his field because he's so used to using color as part of the story it's interesting yeah yeah i agree i'm trying to think i don't think there's anything like is there maybe a scene in grand budapest that's in black and white uh yes yeah yeah, yeah yeah there's one scene there might be something but other than that i think this is the only time he's really used uh the black and white and uh, i just love the, the whole ensemble cast for this like everyone played their part so well from like adrian brody as the tax evader uh slash art art dealer yeah <laughs> and I just, I really love Benicio Del Toro playing that, you know, the crazy, like, really good. genius. Yeah. Uh, and I love uh, my favorite sequence, and, and this is not really a spoiler, but it is in case, like, it's just a really cool scene. But uh, the character is in prison for a while, uh, but it starts off as, like, Tony Revolori is playing the character as the younger version of the character. And then once 10 years goes by in prison, 
it's like Benicio del Toro like comes into the scene. He like moves into the scene and he taps like yeah. Tony Revolori on the shoulder and they switch spots. And it's just like this like moment of like, you know, that childhood or that youth is gone. And now he's a grizzled, you know, prison. So like he's yeah. been in prison forever now at this point. And it's just that handoff from like youth to like being older and grizzled, I thought that was really like profound in the way that he depicted that. Because you don't really usually you would just cut to him being older, but instead it's like this visual representing representation sure, yeah. of like passing the torch. Really, I is. thought that was really cool. No, I agree. Yeah, I feel like we're on the same page here. Of the three main stories, uh, we're we're more on the uh, Adrian Brody uh, storyline. The, the first definitely. One. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, one, that was, one was, was a lot of fun. fun. Yeah. I did really like the Timothy Chalamet, Francis McDormand story. I thought that was really interesting. I thought Chalamet was really fun in that role. And I love how he just would, he would never speak French, but everyone around him would speak French. And he just like, he was just, uh, just that manifesto. It reminded me of Rushmore. Like it reminded me of Schwartzman's character in Rushmore. And like Chalamet was like that, especially with the manifesto and trying to lead this like rebellion. And he's trying to be the leader, but really he's not, he's not really the leader. He shouldn't be the leader, you know? And it's, I, I really like that. Uh, and then, yeah, just the way that that one ends is... You know, I didn't really expect that ending, so I was like, oh, sh they actually went that direction. That's interesting. Um, that was cool. And then, you know, you can't go wrong with Jeffrey Wright. Like, he's, you know, super amazing. And just the way that he narrates his story and goes through this weird kidnapping story. <laughs> But it's yeah. somehow tied to food. Yeah, no, I love the tie-in. Um, I, I I like all three. I think my least favorite story is the one with Timothy Chalamet and Francis McDormand. But uh, Francis McDormand is like I think my favorite actress of all time, and I am a huge Timothy Chalamet fan. I really like him. So yeah. honestly, I'm glad my least favorite story was the one with those two. So yeah. even when I was like, ah, eh, the story's whatever, I just love seeing them on my screen. I don't care. Yeah. I still really liked that story just because I got to see my two faves. So yeah. it, was, it was great. It's just a fun movie. I that and that first bit with Owen Wilson where he just taking you through the city. I thought that was a really interesting way of like settling you into this world and how strange it is and, and how unique of a place Henri France is. I thought that was really cool. I really liked and that I think, as well. I actually kind of wish they did more like mini stories in between the three big ones. Like, you know, right. they have such a great cast, like Elizabeth Moss, she was there. Like, why isn't yeah. she just doing a quick little mini story in between two of them? Uh, I yeah, that would have been really cool. I agree. I think that would have been really cool. Um, Another really cool shot, the way that he kind of goes through the different districts. At one point, he shows off the different yes. districts. Like, And on the left side, it's like a shot of the past. And on the right side, it's like more of a current shot, current mm -hmm. day shot of what that place looks like and feels like. And the differences but similarities between the eras. I, I thought that was really beautiful showing that off. And, and it was hilarious, too. It's just a very funny film. There were so many moments that caught me off guard and I just died of laughter. And I was just like sitting on my own in the theater, just laughing my ha my ass off at some of the stuff in this movie. 
for sure. Um, I don't know if he's my favorite in any of them, but Adrian Brody is in this one, uh, Darling Limited, and then Grand Budapest Hotel. And I think he's like absolutely fantastic in all three. Like yeah. I think he, I think Wes Anderson knows how to freaking use Adrian Brody. Like he is so great in all three of these films. He's so much fun. So I really loved him in French Dispatch. Uh, me too. Me too. Big fan of his. Yeah, so a really good movie. Uh, I've obviously, because I really, really liked this movie, I picked it for the 2021 ranking that I'm doing in a few months with my siblings. Nice. Um, and so my my brother, who thought Grand Budapest was very boring, is going to now have to sit through oh, French Dispatch. So I already know he's putting this at like the bottom of his list. So I'm glad that at least <laughs> we put this higher here so we can respect it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think if you find Grand Budapest boring, you're in for oh, yeah. you're in for something else with this one. Yeah, if you thought that was boring, this one's about a newspaper industry. So you know, I I don't you know I don't know what to say for that. In France, nonetheless. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know uh, that that that's why this podcast is great. We're we're vibing sushi. We have I I don't think we have a disagreement at all on this list. Uh, but you know it's no. a, you know it's a nice mellow enjoyment before the war of 2021 ranking in a few months. Exactly. And not unlike Wes Anderson's films, it's just about vibing out, hanging out, having a good time. Yeah, this is pretty Enjoying fitting for the Wes Anderson ranking. I agree. Yeah, exactly. So we can move on to number four here, which is the fourth film that was in that tie with French Dispatch, Moonrise Kingdom, and Royal Tenenbaums. And so for number four here, we have Rushmore. You have this one Thanks. at number four, and I have this one at number seven. I do have this at number four, and I think, I don't know if I have a bit of recency bias with this, but I ha I did see this one, uh, Royal Tenenbaums, and then the French Dispatch, all within, you know, a few weeks of each other, so those are the most recent ones that I've seen, but Rushmore, like, you know, really struck a chord in me, in the sense that it's, you, it's kind of about that realization that, you know, you're, you're really in control of your life, and you're not really there to please others. So just like to stop, do to like don't do that anymore, and just try to be you. And like towards the end of the film, I find that he realizes that, yeah. And that's what empowers him to take things into his own hands and make make those decisions, and you know, say screw you to those people who expected him to just kind of like, you know, follow suit and just do what he's told to do. And you know, he's a he's a Rushmore stand, so he's gonna simp for Rushmore no matter what like but no that that realization and and the character change over time is uh why i really like this film and i think jason schwartzman really kills it he's so good in this one yeah he's great and bill murray's great uh this yeah. one i also rewatched actually just a few days ago and i'm really glad i did because i well actually it didn't move at all in my placement it's still number seven so i guess it wouldn't have changed anything for the podcast <laughs> But um, I was ready beforehand to say that I there's like four that are pretty good and six that are fantastic. And now I'm saying that there's seven. Like I appreciate it a lot more on a rewatch. And I think it's because of what you say. I real, I it resonated more with me on this, this watch. Uh, I, maybe it's because I knew going in, it wasn't so much about the West Anorisms. You know, it's not so wacky and vivid as some of his other films. Uh, it's probably because it's mm -hmm. one of his first movies. And also, um, everyone, like, this is a very highly regarded one. A lot of people love this one. And the first time I watched it, I thought Jason Schwartzman was kind of a freaking asshole. I was like, well, screw this guy. Like, I didn't like him at all. I was like, man, why am I rooting for this guy? And really, 
on this rewatch, I kind of realized we're not necessarily rooting for him, but like you understand exactly why he's acting this way and he's lashing out and it feels a lot more real. Like I feel like I totally understand what Jason Schwartzman is going here and I totally understand exactly why he's he feels like he needs to impress everybody and then uh, like a perfect example is him telling everybody his dad has a much higher up job than he really does so obviously when uh, he shows Bill Murray at the end of the movie that his father's just a hair cutter uh, that, that was real uh, man I, I I don't think I teared up but I did feel that moment where Bill Murray in his eyes you can tell that he realized okay, I understand. Jason's, he's like, he's just, he's trying to overcompensate. Like he's, he's ashamed of who he is and he's finally opening up to me. It was a big moment. It was powerful. And you got that a lot throughout the film. He, he's the guy that slowly started opening up. You really felt that. He, he, you know, he really connected with this teacher who's a lot older than him. And he kind of started to realize that uh, it's not the one for him. She's not his Rushmore. Uh, he kind of realized. And I, I really liked yeah. this movie. Yeah, I agree too. And I think that, you know, we're all kind of, it, it's another thing that's like relatable in a sense that you, you know, you tell these kind of white lies as a young person, you know, not all of us, some of us are goody two shoes and never lie. Others, you know, you save something to try and make yourself stand out above, you know, above the others. And it's not true. Sometimes people find out and it comes back to bite you. Other times they don't find out and you you know, reveal it on your own. In this case, you know, revealing that his father is not a neurosurgeon. In fact, he's just a barber and that he's proud of his father and that, and, you know, it doesn't matter that he's a barber. He's a good person. And those are the important things. And I, I really like that as well. And yeah, and, and you can tell Bill Murray, you know, he does a fantastic job in this film and uh, the way that he's able to also understand where Jason Schwartzman is coming from uh, as this 15-year-old kid, you know. Again, similar to uh, Moonrise Kingdom, where you're just like, you're at that stage where you're not quite an adult, but you are, you know, in this his case, he's a much more matured individual, or at least outwardly appearing to be more mature individual. Yeah. You know, at the root of it, he's still just a kid. Yeah, this one's more so a kid really acting like he's an adult right but at yeah. the end of the day he's still a child and i think it's great that uh, the teacher said to bill murray that you guys are both kids like you guys are both acting childish and you know it's kind of the insecurity yeah. that bill murray has so i thought uh, the relationship between those two is really great i i absolutely love uh when uh, jason schwarzman is just roasting the teacher's boyfriend uh that was that cracks me up every time um so you know there's definitely some yeah. great humor great drama it's great yeah, I agree. Just, uh, you know, lots of good moments between the various characters. And I especially like Jason Schwartzman's uh, relationship with his little buddy. Um, I forget his name, but uh, his, his his younger friend. Uh, and then, you know, when his younger friend realizes that they're only friends because he thought that maybe he could sleep with his mom. And, you know, just the how those kind of those rumors and, and that gossip gets around and how it can like affect your friendships and, and ruin things without, uh, you know, the full context. So it really teaches you that, you know, you have to come together and actually talk it out. You have to understand what this situation really is. And so once they're able to come together and, and, and talk it out, they're able to understand that, oh, no, this is just this is a bunch of bullshit. Like we should be we, we're more friends. You gotta keep being friends. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, a lot of the relationships are really great. Yeah, uh, and also I, I love the uh, the sorry the Vietnam War <laughs> play that they put that he puts on was at excellent. the end of the movie. <laughs> excellent play. Fantastic. I was pretty, I was pretty blown Tony. away. Yeah, I wish my school had a play like that. Yeah, seriously, it reminds me of that uh, that school that did the Alien production. They like tried to do Alien as a play a few years ago, and I remember Sigourney Weaver was like you know sent them a message about it and everything and it was this huge thing on twitter i think a couple years back it's like oh, yeah, where, where were those productions when i was in school you know yeah 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 my productions were never like that i remember i did the trojan woman play in my high school days and it was just we had to carry bags and bags of dirt and like we just made this dirt on set and then we just took like those old crates that you you know like those crates that you just like throw stuff on we like made that as like the, the the ground so we would just walk on crates on top of dirt and that was the set baby we were good to go yeah there you go maybe we just didn't have the budgets in place for these <laughs> yeah maybe these explosive vietnam uh stories yeah it looked fantastic i was kind of jealous yeah yeah it was pretty cool. I liked it a lot. Yeah, it's a good, good fun, good fun movie. Uh, it just has a lot of, you know, once again, a lot of relatable moments and, and just good characters. And it's it's fairly fleshed out. And I think that's pretty good for being, I think this is their second movie, right? This I believe, is probably their, the yeah, second I film believe this they is made their after second. Bottle Rocket. Yeah, I believe this is the one that came out after Bottle Rocket. Yeah. So, yeah, once again, amazing. Also, I really like the title. I, you know, most of his films are just like the title of the big set piece. You know, Grand Budapest Hotel is obviously the hotel. Darjeeling Limited is obviously the train. Royal uh, yeah. French Dispatch is obviously you know the, the newspaper press. Uh, Rushmore, you know, it's it's the name of the school as well. But I do yeah. like how it's uh, it was like a big symbol for a lot of the characters between him and Bill Murray. Like it was really uh, the reason of. Like, like what's worth living for, right? Like, like they said, she was my Rushmore. Uh, she was mine too. Like they, they, that was their, their yeah. point, like, like their purpose in life. And I, so I liked that. That was the title. It really fit. Yeah. I like that too. Good point. So we can move on to number three here. I don't know if anyone noticed, but the top three that we have here, we all have in our top three. So, you know, the two of us are on the same page once again. Uh, and so to round up the top three here, we have Fantastic Mr. Fox. So Sush has this at number three, and I have this at number two. Nice. Yeah, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Another uh, stop-motion animation, fantastic masterpiece of storytelling and, and Wes anderson Andersonisms. It's hard to say. Yeah, uh, but sure. like you said earlier in this in the, our conversation about how he's able to really um, he's really able to craft the world here. And you feel like when you're watching this, you're in this world, you're in Mr. Fox's world where, you know, these talking animals and, you know, are thieves and they have their own like, you know, interconnected communities. It, it seems all real and believable and it, it makes complete sense you know they're just coexisting in this world and it's just a fight between the farmers and this the pesky fox and i just i love this world and i wish that we could spend more time in this world because it's beautiful and it's it's just so well developed yeah i i love this movie this one is really really good i like you said just 
it really feels like its own world. It feels like you're just jumping into a storybook here since it's, you know, based off of a novel. It's just such a great world. Uh, everything about the movie I really like. I love the family aspect. I think it probably plays with that the best, in my opinion. You know, I feel like most people prefer Royal Tenenbaums. But I think the family aspect in this is just great between the father and just his thrill of just like his younger days compared to what it means to be a father for his family. Like, I think that's really interesting. I also just think, like you said, the aspect between the fa uh, the farmers and the animals is a really fun dynamic. You're, you know, you're always rooting for the animals here and they always come out on top. They're always one step ahead of those nasty farmers. But I think the... The characters are all great. Uh, you know, I'm a sucker for puns, and they did like a bunch of dad joke animal puns with all the farm animals there. So I think that's hilarious. Uh, you know, everything yeah. about this. I think the script's hilarious. I think the look of the film is great. Uh, best stop motion in any movie, in my opinion. Like I think it just looks fantastic. So I, I just really like the movie. I really like the vibe, and I think um, I wrote this in my review because I just rewatched this a few days ago. I think it was about a week at this point. But right. in my review for the film, I was saying that I really liked the idea of the name Fantastic, which is obviously in the title. So, you know, I guess back-to-back, uh, -back, Rushmore and this might be the best titles for a movie. I think Mr. Fox kept going back to his glory days because he wants to be fantastic. Like, he just, he wants to have that thrill of being better than everybody because this is what he's good at. And he feels like when he's right. just a boring columnist, ah, you know... You know, maybe he doesn't want to work at the French Dispatch because he doesn't really like writing articles. He doesn't think that's his gift, uh, but he's trying to live a more mundane father life. And so I think at the end that he's stuck living more of a mundane life and he kind of learned his lesson uh, to have his wife and like his family kind of acknowledge that he's just fantastic at being a dad. And I think that that's just a really great moral lesson for him and for the viewer. It's just great to know that, you know what, even if you feel like you're not at your full potential, you're still important to everyone around you. And I think that that was a really sweet moment. I, you know, I love this movie. I was grinning from ear to ear watching this. It's such a sweet, warm feeling movie, especially because, you know, fall's kind of over for us Canadians. But, you know, it's still kind of fall. So it's, it's a very much a fall autumn vibe. And I really like it. Yeah, I'm 100% in agreement with you. I think it's just, it's such a fun, warm film that you just throw on and have a good time with They there's, you know, I can't imagine someone watching this and just not having fun with this movie. And, you know, with it being, you know, based on a Roald Dahl story, um, who also is just about having fun. And, you know, he's got a very interesting style as well, much like Wes Anderson. And I think that that translates really well in this film. And he was able to take that story and really make it his own with the Andersonisms that we know and love today. Um yeah, and I think I, I would agree with you. I think that this is a little bit more powerful when it comes to that family angle and family aspect, especially bringing in the uh, the nephew who is, you know, the nephew is perfect and he's so good. Uh, so, you know, obviously Mr. Fox has an admiration for his nephew uh, a little bit different than his own son uh, because his, his own son is a bit interesting you know he's more he's more of a unique individual uh and you know i love how over time he also 
grows very fond of his son and what his son brings to the table and really grows to love him and respect him for who he is. And that, I think that's pretty powerful because a lot of people can kind of relate to that, whether it's with your own siblings or just, you know, someone that your family knows who your parents just admire because, you know, for some reason, either they're just better at school than you are, or they're just more, you know, in tune with society than you are. And, and a lot of people can relate to that. And, uh, but, you know, as with, you know, not everyone experiences this, but a lot of the time, you know, people learn to love each other for who they are. I mean, at least I like to think so. So there's that aspect, which is also powerful and and something that people can relate to Um, as relationships develop and as you grow older and your parents learn who you are and you learn who your parents are and so that respect develops um you know for some people other people aren't so fortunate but you know and that and that's what family stories are all about is is just trying to show uh something that's relatable and also something that people can empathize with even if they're not they've not been in that situation themselves for sure yeah and even more so even if your parents like obviously love you more as a child. It's also just the insecurity of being a kid. Like you, you're just always insecure mm-hmm. as to how people view you. So like you just always have that mindset of, Oh, well my parents are probably not proud of me. And it, that really is displayed here where like you really feel uh, that the kid just needs to really prove himself to his parents and his parents mm-hmm. uh, kind of have that redeeming moment near the end. So it is a great family film. Uh, really works for me. A totally different vibe from the other animated film he made, Isle of Dogs. You know, totally more enjoyable and relaxing. Yeah, totally. Uh, very different vibe, but, you know, like both films have their moments. And this one is, you know, obviously a little bit more significant for the both of us. Yeah, just there's there's so many great scenes in this. Like even just the exchange between Fox and Badger uh, and the jokes that they throwing at each other and how it, it turns into just them growling at each other. And the, I can't remember, I can't think of it right now, but, uh, you know, just, they're not, they're not fully saying the swears. They're just like holding back on the curse words and, oh yeah, they can, they say cussing, right? They call it cussing. It's cuss this, it cuss you. And I thought that was hilarious to keep things kind of PG, but, uh, with it still being more, a very like still PG 13 story. And, with the different uh, events that transpire throughout the film. Yeah, and maybe with this being an animated film, uh, it definitely feels like it's the most geared towards kids. Uh, maybe this or yeah. Moonrise Kingdom, I guess. But this one really does with the animation and like the light colors, and yeah, with like the cussing and just like the way it's shot. Um, yeah, I feel like you yeah. can literally watch this with your family. Yeah, yeah, you definitely could. And it, it has, it, and similar to like, a, you know, children's animated films, there's a lot, I mean, this one has a little bit more depth, but it's not like, you know, we're all doll books or all children's books, right? So the material is there and material can be, you know, absorbed by younger minds, but there's still those like, you know, those innuendos and those like adult jokes and adult themes that are found throughout the film while still being very visually appealing for younger folks. A lot of fun. There's a lot of humor. Uh, you know, especially I love Will De- Willem Dafoe as the rat, I think is hilarious. Uh, and I think he plays it really well. And I can see kids really enjoying that character. And I agree, like there's something for everyone with this film. And I think that's why it's one of his best films. It's just a very accessible movie for everyone. 
Does William Defoe do voice work for Isle of Dogs? I just feel like his voice is so great. Like, I feel like he should be in every animated movie. I think he might. I have the list here, but oh no, it doesn't look like it. Yeah, I, I don't think he did, but man, you know, uh, missed out. He would have been a good dog. Yeah, I like. I just, uh, I just love when he appears. Like even just going back to the French Dispatch quickly, the way that he appears in the third story, uh, he's in the oh, chicken he's so coop, good. Yeah. and it's like he's like a literal chicken, and it's just his acting is so funny, and uh, it's just perfect. I just, I love the guy so much. Such a talented actor. Yeah, and and you know, touching on his role in the French Dispatch, I absolutely love it. I love how. Wes Anderson is able to probably get one of the biggest names of his film. Like, William Defoe's a pretty big name compared to, like, yeah. I don't know, like, a lot of these other people that were bigger roles in this movie. And he has him there just for, like, a joke. Like, he's just there for yeah. a bit. Like, that's it. That's all he does in the movie. It's so funny. Yeah, and, and even with Bill Murray just having him as the, you know, as the head of the French Dispatch, he's, he has a few talking lines here and there. But other than that, he's he's not really in that movie, even though he is kind of a focal point. Yeah. It is you know surrounds his work and, and everything but he just he manages to do that with people and like bring in you know someone who's had more of a significant role in his other films and then bringing them in for like a small cameo appearance and you know another film further on um, i mean just going looking at fantastic mr fox here like the the cast in this is crazy from george clooney to meryl streep those are two yeah. huge names and to have them, you know, you're not even using their faces, but their voices are very recognizable. Like, like I could hear Meryl Streep speak and I know it's exact. I know it's her. And same thing with George Clooney. It's very recognizable, but they don't throw you off from the characters at all. Like they embody who they are. Like it, that is Mr. Fox. And, you know, that is uh, Mrs. Fox. And, you know, it, those it's just it works so well, despite having these huge names. And I think that's you know, a testament to the casting as well is just knowing that you can pull the trigger on casting someone like George Clooney uh, who prides himself on his face. I mean, he's a very handsome man, right? So obviously oh, yeah. his face is quite significant. I know he's done, you know, a fair amount of voice work uh, over the years. He's appeared in different things. Um, but to have him in this and not use his face and his good looks and just use his nice sounding voice instead... Uh, that's really cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, I don't know if this is a fair comparison, but uh, this is like the same kind of George Clooney that I would see in Burn After Reading, where it just seems like mm -hmm. George Clooney agreed to do this just because he thought it'd be fun. I, just, I feel the vibe from both those two films that he was just there to have fun. He wasn't there to, you know, to pull on like the suave George Clooney look to, you know, like really look fantastic and be a great actor it, he's just having fun in these two movies and I, I get that vibe the whole time like with his iconic like whistling and click like it's so great like he's great as mr fox i love him i think this is my favorite clooney performance ever and it's the animated one yeah. but he's great yeah no he's fantastic and I, I love that about anderson films because i know you you've said this before about like marvel movies and how how they manage to get big name actors to pop up in these movies. And like, it's just because they, they just want to have fun. Like it's, you know, in this case with Wes Anderson, you know that you're getting into a really good project that's full of passion and there's a lot of soul behind it. And, you know, no, I'm not saying that Marvel movies or comic movies, whatever, don't have that, but you know, Wes Anderson's body of work shows that, it, you know, he's a very high quality filmmaker, 
But knowing that, you're not getting into this to, to, well, I don't know what it's like on set, but from what I've understood, it's, it's a fun experience. There's a lot of humor. There's a lot of people who are trying to do good work, right? Uh, so he brings in these people who just, you know, want to be a part of a good one, a movie that's going to be good for the most part, you know, though they ha- he has his detractors or whatever, but two, just to have fun and be a part of something unique because you know that each film that he does is going to be different and have something really interesting and unique about it. Um, and I think that's how he manages to get a lot of those, you know, one-timey actors and then have his repeating cast always come back to have fun. You know, I think, you know, I don't know if this is a good comparison, but I think of like Adam Sandler bringing his friends on to the films in a constant yes. role, constant roles, right? It's just because he wants to have his friends on set and just have a good time making movies. And I think Anderson is the same thing, but obviously he truly elevates what he puts out. Yeah, I think the one with Adam Sandler is a pretty fair comparison. Where you just when you watch those movies, like with Wes Anderson and the Sandler films, you just get a vibe that like they're just having fun. And like, isn't that what makes film exciting? I don't know. I get excited when I can tell everybody on set is just having the time of their freaking life right now. And you know, I don't mind that Adam Sandler movies. You know, even though the writing sucks or whatever it is, like I always have a good time with them. And I just feel like you get into those moments with them. Uh, I think Marvel's a little different at times where, like, I get the vibe more so that they're there to have fun, that they're more so just there to, you know, make some easy money. Like, you know, they don't have to do a whole lot of, like, performance to just make some easy money. So uh, that's the vibe I get more so from that. But, yeah, they definitely have fun with that as well. Um, So I agree to a point. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the vibe I get. They have a good time. Have you ever seen a, a commentary from one of his films? I'm, uh, no, I don't think I've ever watched any. Uh, I mean, I've I've seen some YouTube videos and stuff, but I haven't watched like sat down and watched it. And I should like I have the Dejeeling, uh Limited uh, Criterion, and I yeah. think there is a couple on there that are quite good uh, that I have to check out sometime. But uh, I don't do that enough. I don't sit down and listen to the commentaries enough, and I, I should. You know, I, I, did, I did that with like Lord of the Rings and the appendices, and that's a lot. Right. Um, yeah. But it's a lot of fun. It's just like finding the time to do oh, that sure. and, and sit down and do it. But I definitely, it's something I overlook, but I, I feel like I would really enjoy because I love getting into the heads of the filmmakers and kind of understanding where they're coming from and giving those, you know, giving their arguments for certain things. And I, I really like that. Like, I just think of those, uh, Vanity Fair has done a lot of videos recently where uh, the directors will kind of break down a certain key scene from one of their films, like, uh, David Lowry does one for The Green Knight, uh, and then there's one recently with Denis Villeneuve for Dune, and th- just stuff like that, and listening to the filmmakers break, st- break things down and explain why they made this decision and why they went in that direction. That's super cool. I, I really enjoy that. Yeah, the reason why I was asking, um, all the criterions that of the West Anders films that I have have yeah. commentaries. I don't know if it's all of them, but you know, it's all the ones that I have so far. I only have three from him, but I watched right. the grand Budapest one, obviously. And man, it was such, I, it was such a vibe because everyone that was part of the commentary, 
they were just laughing and having a great time. In every scene, they were all like, oh my gosh, yes, I remember this. And they, uh, Jeff Goldblum was in it of the commentary. And he oh. trailed off every 10 minutes and told some wacky story of when he was on set. He said he went out for dinner with another cast member and she like farted during the dinner. And he was like, he, they were oh just talking God. about how much fun they were all having and how wacky and like relaxed it all was. And Jeff yeah. Goldblum was saying that like Wes Anderson gave them all the perfume that uh, the guy had from Grand Budapest. And so they all had like little gift baskets of all the stuff. And it just felt like they just had such a great time. And so, yeah, I just, from that commentary, I really got a feeling that being on a set for Wes Anderson is just so much fun, clearly, because they keep coming back, right? Like once you're in one Wes Anderson, you kind of keep returning. I just feel like it's more of like, you know, I, Sush might hate all these once I say it, but it feels like a bro trip, right? Like I feel like everybody is just <laughs> vibing together in these movies. It, yeah, it very much does feel like that. And, and in my experience, my, my limited experience of working on sets, like I've only done a couple of, yeah. you know, short films here and there, but it's so much better when you're having a good time laughing and, you know, enjoying yourself on set. You can really see that come through in the final production. And, you know, I know like some people say, oh, you don't want to have too much fun on set if it's a serious movie. But, you know, when you're going 10, 12 hours a day, you got to have fun. Yeah, if you're it's just serious all the time. I mean, I can't imagine. Like, sure, you'll you as a director, if that's what you're going for and that's the kind of performance and and final product that you want to bring to the table, that's great. From my experience, I totally agree having fun on set usually translates to a good final product. Yeah, and obviously that's not the case, you know. I've I've heard rumors that Stanley Kubrick is not the most fun guy to have on a set with, but <laughs> You know, it doesn't mean that his films aren't fantastic. So it's not like the buy-all, end-all rule for stuff. But I do think, like you exactly. said, uh, you know, most of the time, if they're having fun, I feel like you have fun with it. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, very true. So we can move on to number two here. Uh, the, the top two, we both have one of them in our number one. And for number two, we have the Darjeeling Limited. So you have this one at number one. This is your favorite. And I have it at number three. Yeah, so this is my favorite. Uh, I know this is, for the both of us, this is probably one of the ones that, sh like, according to many people, what shouldn't be at the top. Yeah. Like, I know a lot of people tend to have this one at the bottom of their list. Uh, but for me, I think this film took all the great stuff of the life aquatic and kind of gave it a purpose. Like, I think there was, like, an end goal of that, you know... You, spiritual discovery and just finding themselves and that and that that was the purpose that was given to it but it, it really is just you going on this adventure with you know three brothers and kind of experiencing them experience india for the first time together and then it was it isn't until they just happen you know they stumble upon that the you know the kids and then the, the the small town and that's when they really start to learn the reason why they're there and it, you know it's not until you kind of and that's like very similar to to whether it's a spiritual journey or just life in general like you're, you're sure you might be searching for something for so long but until you like it's almost until you stumble upon it that's when you really discover it the the true purpose of something you know it's it could be hiding in plain sight and just because you're looking so hard for it you don't see it but then you know, you happen to find it because, yeah, you just tripped over it, for lack of a better term. 
Yeah, this is a Darjeeling Limited Stan podcast. We're here to yeah. bring some light onto a very, uh, you know, I wouldn't even say underrated Wes Anderson film because you know, underrated is such a vague term, but definitely underappreciated or maybe yeah. at least under, like lesser known. I feel like everyone has seen Grand Budapest. I'm sure people have seen Isle of Dog and Fantastic Mr. Fox and maybe Tenenbaums and Rushmore. Uh, but, it, you know, this one isn't rated high on any sites. It's not loved by many. And I, I feel like the tides are turning. I feel like people are going to start, once they start watching this, they'll start to realize this is definitely one of his best. I just, I think the train atmosphere is fantastic. Like, you know, I, I we could go on for like 10 minutes about that shot where the train. camera goes to each train that represents a segment of their journey to self-discovery throughout the whole film, which is so beautiful. Like it it might be my favorite shot of all of Wes Anderson. And you know, that's coming from a guy that just loves Budapest. Like I love that shot of the train. And then the three brothers are fantastic. I feel like if you have any siblings, you know, you get that rivalry feel to it. This is, you know, I don't connect with them because their rivalry is a lot different, but you still get that sibling rivalry going. Uh, you get that, you know, obviously family issues with their mother. And I just think lost their father. Like everything about this family feels real. It's very similar to Tenenbaums where it's like a broken family that's trying to piece themselves back together. Uh, but this one just works. Like I really love the three brothers. Like all three of them. I love them all for different ways. Uh, Owen Wilson is just by far the worst, but he's so funny that I just adore him. And then you know, I could go on and on about Schwartzman and Brody. They were just fantastic. I really love the three. I like the journey. Like you said, they intentionally go on this journey for self-discovery, which is humorous of itself. And then when they think the journey is over, they think, okay, we got what we needed. Then they actually have that journey of realization. And I think that is great how they think, okay, you know what? Like we, we learned a bit about each other. Like we're good to go. And then to mm-hmm. be put into that situation with the kids. And then after that, it's just, it's very powerful. I really get, like, me and my fiance, we both love this. We get choked up watching it. Like, we really like this movie. Um, so it's, it's a great one. Yeah, it's, uh, you said it well. You said it really well. It's just, it's a great movie and great chemistry between the three main characters. Uh, that, the dichotomy that they have and the the challenges that they face and the fact that they have not really grieved their the loss of their father like they're still in the process of of dealing with that and, and coming to terms with that loss and and it's like now that they're finally together they're able to experience that loss together and you know then they you know when they find their mother and they sort of get that closure uh, and realization that you know it's it's all about the three of them it's all about being together as brothers and that's what's really important and you know their mother is going to go off and do her own thing and you know their father unfortunately you know he's gone he's passed away but at least they have each other and now they have a much different and better respect and appreciation for each other uh and that i think really is communicated really well on screen through what wes anderson shows us uh, and through that chemistry between Brody Schwartzman and Owen Wilson, uh, it's just it doesn't get better than that for me. And those the way that these three, you know, have that realization uh, once they encounter the kids, and and that's the thing is that you know it, it's it was a way for them to to grieve the loss of their father and the loss with the loss of this kid and then their efforts like 
that trying to save the kid's life and then realizing, oh shit, no, the kid died. He's dead. He's gone. It's just, just like that. Things can happen that quick. Uh, and the way that they grieve for the child afterwards, I think it was a good way for them to finally grieve properly for their father as well, uh, together. For me that that's, you know, super powerful, um, and really impactful and it's a big reason why i love this one and that why i have it at number one uh myself it's interesting that at the beginning of the movie they kind of have you know their petty differences i love the there's so many fun running jokes at the beginning of the movie where like uh you know every single item that adrian brody has like wait that was our dad's so like that doesn't belong yeah. to you. that belongs to all of us like that's so funny <laughs> and then every time someone confides in the other brother as soon as they leave the room, that brother tells the third one, like every freaking time, like everyone knows each other's secrets at all times. So they're really not hiding anything. And so that's really funny. Uh, and yeah. then each, each of them have like their own personal baggage, right? Like, Jason Schwartzman's the one that handling the loss of no longer being with Natalie Portman, who was barely yeah. in it, but got a nice, nice paycheck out of it. And Adrian Brody is uh, going to be a father, and then Owen Wilson uh, tried to kill himself. So they all have those yeah. like moments from their past that they're not really privy to until this journey. Uh, and it still doesn't really seem to be too changing for them until, obviously, uh, the, the, the incident with the children. And that's kind of what bonded them together. I like that moment where Owen Wilson takes off all of the uh, the bandages he has on him. Cause if, and the two, like side by side on him, kind of realize that like this is a big moment like you know and in like a metaphorical way he's kind of stripping away and just being vulnerable to his two brothers and they were both yeah. silent and respectful and it was really sweet so you know i love the three of them i love them yeah it's uh it's really fantastic and i mean when i think about it i think this might actually be one of the dark films that he has when you think about the themes and the things that the characters experience like from you know divorce to, you know, the uncertainty of, uh, you know, bringing a kid into the world, uh, you know, suicide and depression and mental health issues, uh, grief, the loss of family. There's a lot of really heavy subjects that are, you know, brought up in this film. But I think that the way that Anderson deals with each subject is done very tastefully. And it gives you a chance to experience those themes and also come to terms with those themes. Uh, and I think that that giving that journey to the audience members, it's like you're 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 not just watching this. It's like you're experiencing this with the characters, uh, at least for myself. I've always been very attached to this film in that sense that I feel like I'm experiencing this journey with them, you know, and, and it's, you know, I'm I'm just, a you know, a white guy. So it's like we're known for going on these spiritual journeys and trying to find ourselves and all that stuff. And, you know, despite like I've never actually done that myself, uh, you know, I've not gone to India or anything like that. I do know people who have and I know that it's a common thing. And the way that he weaves that into it, but then gives it some real depth instead of just being this surface level spiritual journey that they go on. I think that's another thing that really stands out for me because it could have been you could have easily just done you know similar to life aquatic and just had you hanging out with these three guys going on a spiritual journey and whatever having a good time but there's so much more to it and i think that's why it takes all the good from like life aquatic and and some of those earlier films that are similar to this but giving it way more depth and i think that's what a lot of people unfortunately don't realize at first on this film uh is because 
at surface level you'd believe that it's just a cheap spiritual journey yeah. but really it's it's a lot more than that and i hope that people start to see that because like you and me we we know that this is a really significant film and i think people would find more appreciation and understanding if they were to connect with it in that sense for sure i totally understand why people emotionally connect with royal tenenbaums the most but this is yeah i guess the tenenbaums for me this is the one that i resonate with the most like i feel the most personally connected to these people definitely yeah um my favorite thing about this film and it's just the like well one of my favorite things about this film is the opening of the film and how it focuses on Bill you know, Murray. For those who haven't seen it, yeah, it focuses on Bill Murray. So you think, you know, if you don't know anything about this movie, you think, okay, it's another Bill Murray film. He's late for a train. He's trying to catch a train. And so it's it's like it focuses on him. And then when you get to the train station and Adrian, Bro I think it's Adrian Brody, yeah, he starts running beside him and he's just running. And he passes and the camera starts following Adrian Brody and leaves Bill Murray behind. And you realize, oh, it's not about Bill Murray. It's about this guy and and whatever else is going to happen and bill murray just misses the train completely and, and just like completely shifts focus i love how he throws you off that scent because you think it's about bill murray but it's not even close uh, that's yeah. hilarious i like I how it. it opened his story with that like what a good use of bill murray like he doesn't just he doesn't say anything he's just there and then i know he appears later in the film as well in one of the train compartments yeah. um but yeah just that that opening with him and that's it. Like that's hilarious. Like what? A, what a funny use of the guy. No, it's great. I think Wes Anderson should do this more. I feel like he doesn't use it enough. How he has yeah. all these big name people, uh, and so he kind of just throws off the audience expectation. Where yeah, the first couple minutes is all Bill Murray. It's just him trying to get to this train, and you know the movie's about a train, so you're like, okay, I guess he's gonna get on, right? Like he must be a relatively important story character. Like we are focused on him at the beginning. That's just how we yeah. process movies. That's how it's always been. And, you know, especially because it's a named character. If it was some nobody, we would, might be like, oh, okay, that's odd. Maybe this guy's, like, just setting up the movie. But because it is, like, a star name, like, is, this is Bill fucking Murray. He's the sh star yeah. of the show here, right? Like, we were just yeah. like, geared to think that he's going to be the lead. And it's just, it's just to throw us off. It's just Wes Anderson having fun. And, yeah, I, I agree. I think that's such a fun opening. It, it's really fun. Yeah. Just a good, fun movie. Yeah, at the end of the day, I could take away one thing from this podcast. Uh, you know, if you haven't seen it yet, you know, if you have and you don't like it, that's totally fine. But if you haven't seen it yet, give it a try. I, I think yeah. you'll like it. I think so, too. Yeah. So we can move on to number one here, which uh, I don't know if it's going to be much of a surprise for people. This is probably his most well-known film and the one that most people have seen and walk away loving. And that's going to be Grand Budapest Hotel. So as Sush has this at number two, I have this at number one. Uh, and I don't think it's much of a surprise for anyone that, you know, if you follow me at all on these podcasts, that I have this at number one. since it's, it's still my favorite film of all time. Like, this is, this, like, I keep thinking it over, like, what define like, what defines the best film? For me and it has to be this everything about this the, the the production design the lighting the color the the star power we have here like a great cast a great story uh, i feel like there's so many genres mixed together in this movie like he is just full throttle doing everything in this movie it, it's fantastic yeah it's yeah it's really wes anderson to the max <clears throat> without being 
overly self-indulgent. Like I know a lot of people made that argument about the French dispatch being, you know, over like self-indulgent and, and to an extent it is, you can understand that, that commentary, but this it's like, it's, it's Wes Anderson to the max, but it still feels reined in and focused. Like there's a focalized point to the film. There's a, you know, you're going from point A to point B. There's a story, there's a reasoning behind it all. And while it is you hanging out with, you know, people of uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel, it's very much about, you know, dealing with the boy with apple painting and like, you know, trying to, uh, you know, keep the hotel out of the hands of like uh, Adrian Brody and his family and, and that kind of stuff. And just like, it's just really interesting the way that he tells this story. And I, I really like that execution of it. And I think it's, it's probably his most focalized and strongest narrative, I think. Yeah, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to over-exaggerate here, but I really think there is not a second of this film that feels wasted. Every single second of this movie is perfect in my mind. Like, I think you could pause the movie at any moment, and it's like a perfect picture shot. Like, like everything is so beautiful looking. I think... Uh, you know, all of his films are definitely a mix of drama and comedy, which, you know, I love combining those two. I feel like it's my favorite dark comedy slash just like dramedies or my kind of thing. And this film just has that in spades, like, like the rest of them. But this movie has like a heist. It has a murder mystery. It has a love story. Prison it's got break. Like, like a prison break. Like, yeah, like this movie has like, it has so much. So and everything is great. Everything about this movie is great. Uh, I've, I, you know, I have it on Criterion, obviously. I think I've already started to wear it out. It's my favorite uh, collector's item because, like, I think I've read all the articles on it. I've listened to the commentary twice. Like, there's so many fun stories. Like, you know, the really tall guard that, yeah. uh, you know, the guy was about to tattle on him and then he, like, beat him up and he told him to go escape. Like, you know, that, you know, that one tall guy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the story was they were all having beers one night after shooting a few scenes. They were all just hanging out. And this dude won the beer chugging competition at the bar. And they walked up to him and said, hey, you seem pretty cool. Do you want to be in this movie we're shooting tomorrow morning? And he just showed up. Like, he's nice. just some dude drinking beer in Europe. And he's now part of yeah. the movie. Like, man, everything about this movie is fun to me. I think the cast is great. Adrian Brody is, like, so creepy and hilarious looking. William Defoe is, like, terrifying. Uh, and you know, I, you know, I'm not even a big Bond fan, but like they did a little homage to uh, All Her Majesty's Secret Service. That was called, uh, or, yeah, yeah, where they did the skiing scene. Uh, you know, just so many little Easter eggs and fun moments. Uh, I love it. I love uh, Gustav is hilarious. I think everything about him kills me. How he always goes for like older blonde woman, and he always ends up getting like some money out of it. And man, just he's he's like smarmy but charming at the same time. Uh, Zero is a fantastic hero. Man, yeah, I I don't I don't think there's a single character that I think is a mess. I think they're all fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Even all the way up to F. Murray Abraham playing an elderly Zero, I thought. It was just well casted across the board, and I, I, I really do believe that this is Ralph Fiennes' best uh, oh, yeah. performance, a hundred percent. Like this is, and he just embodies Gustav, and he is Gustav, and he is like you don't think of him as Ralph Fiennes. It's like now when I see Ralph Fiennes in other films, I think of that's just Monsieur Gustav, you know, like that's how good he was. He really was that character, and that I think 
is just tells you everything about this story. The fact that it was able to solidify this character in popular culture um, to this extent, I think is as a testament to it as well. Um, but yeah, even going down all the way to Cersei Ronan, who plays Agatha, and she's you know exceptional. I think it's one of her better roles as well. Uh, even though she's a secondary character, I think she really embodies that. Um, and there's some amazing shots with her. I really love that shot where Zero is staring at her, and there's all the lights, yeah. uh, you know, out of focus behind her. The bouquet effect. It's so beautiful, and she's just even with that with the uh, birthmark on her face. She's just a, such a beautiful actress. Um, I think Brooklyn is also another very good performance of hers, if not a better performance, but her as Agatha, I think is really awesome. She does a great job. Yeah. Uh, no, even not, you know, supporting characters, Ed Norton, he was great as the, he was the, uh, the officer uh, going to Adrian Brody. Like you said earlier, just, Anderson just knows how to use Brody in, in those situations. And I just, I think Brody's nose really lent to this character as being, as being such an asshole. And uh, I just, yeah, I loved it. I think, I think it's fantastic. That scene at the the funeral or the wake um, where they're go while well, they're going through the will and then he calls him fruit. What does he call him? A fruit boy or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He calls him like a fag or whatever. And yeah. so then later he was like, "Are you? were you sleeping with my mother? And he was like, well, how could I be sleeping with her? You, you said I was a fag. He's like, well, you're bisexual. Yeah, you're bisexual. Yeah. Just like great moments like that. I just uh, really, it pulls everything in and it's like, uh, it doesn't, it's really a good movie. And like, I, I think I really go between this and Dajeeling as the top two. Like, they're pretty interchangeable um, films in terms of the quality and, and being at the top of Anderson's list for me. They're, it's just, this is such a fun story. And I, I really think that there's, it's so focalized. It, it really, there's no point that feels like it lags. The pacing is really, really good. It's quick. But there are moments that let you breathe. Like I always think of uh, that scene with the Society of the Cross Keys and it's yeah. just going through the different hotels. Like it almost serves as an intermission. Like you watch them, but you're kind of just like, you're, let, you're giving yourself a chance to kind of take a break and get ready for that final act, the end of the film. And, and that was like a realization that I just had not too long ago. But I, I really like how he does that without really like stopping things. It was just a way to slow things down while still being interesting and exciting, showing off more of this hotel society world and then further immersing you into the world that these characters reside in. And I think that is something that Anderson is really good at throughout all of his films. Yeah, and I think another thing about this film, uh, it's a league on its own when it comes to, I think, the comedy department. Like, a lot of these other movies, like, like I definitely chuckle at a lot of Wes Anderson's lines in these films. Like, I can't, I can't remember any from French Dispatch, but I definitely laughed at that and all these others. But this one, I could quote this movie all day. Maybe that's because I've seen it, like, eight times <laughs> in the last three years. But I could I could quote this movie from the back of my hand. Like I I was telling my my like family this one day that I really think this might be the funniest movie ever for me. Which I don't know if that says about me because it's really not that funny. <laughs> but like I can't tell you how hard I laugh when uh, William Defoe kicks Jeff Goldblum's cat out out of the building. 
I yeah. absolutely like, it, it might like it might be the funniest scene in film for me. I freaking burst out every time when Jeff Goldblum goes, "Is is that my cat? Like, did you just kick my cat out the window?" Yeah. And then it cuts to him what? with a bag. Like he goes, he like hands a ticket, and then he takes yeah. the cat bag. Like he just has a dead cat in a bag, he's just carrying it around, which is so funny. Uh, and then another yeah. really funny joke is he opens up uh, Gustav opens up the uh, the boy with apple and he looks at it, he goes this is the most gorgeous painting ever this is a true treasure it's priceless uh, everything else in that house is garbage like it's 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 worthless but this this is priceless i will never leave with this this is a true sign of her love towards me and then it cuts to him going i think i'm going to sell it like just <laughs> yeah. just it's so quick it's so like the dialogue is so sharp i i die laughing so much during this film it's fun but at the same time I tear up. Like, I think I tear up every time when he yells, get your hands off my lobby boy. Like, you, it's at the moment where you see that he's more than just a lobby boy to Gustav. Like, he really does care and love for Zero. And I, I, I you know, just a little, little things like that. Like, you know, it's not like, tr- like, you know, depressing, like, I don't know, Marriage Story or what other movie you're watching, like, come and see. But this one, uh, <laughs> it's just got the comedy and the drama. It just works really well for me. I, yeah, I think I think this movie's perfect. I got no qualms with it. Yeah, me neither. I have no qualms, and he, yeah, he just really knows how to tug at your heartstrings and just really play up the emotions, and he does so in such a subtle way. Like, and some things are outright, some things are more subtle. Like, and when I think of the French Dispatch, there was a lot of things that were implied and not really outright said, and that were hilarious. I just died of laughter. And then, you know, other people in the theater weren't laughing as much, but like, I, I kind of understood what the joke was. And to me, it's hilarious. And there's a lot of that in here as well, where it's just like, whether it's something the character does, like physically does, or like, you know, how the edit, the shot is edited, how, what it cuts to. It's just, there's a lot of funny moments uh, that really, uh, you know, play up those emotions. And that I think that's why you're able to have those responses, whether you're laughing or you're you're crying when you, you feel that, uh, you know, the care that, Mr. Gustav has, and that's why I love Ralph Fiennes in this because he really is Mr. Gustav. He really is, he really is that person. Like he's not perfect, but he tries to be a good person. Like you said, he's a bit smarmy. He likes his older women, but at the end of the day, he will, you know, he'll he'll take a bullet for zero. And as you find out, he does, unfortunately, at the end, uh, off camera. But uh, you know, he's a guy who really cares about this hotel, about the people that are in his life. And yeah, I, I love that exchange between him or between Gustav and Zero, and how Zero is recounting about Agatha and telling him about Agatha. And he's like, "I'll have to meet her," and like he's just like, "She has to pass the test and all this stuff." And then when they meet, it's hilarious how like he's just like totally hitting on her and then <laughs> yeah. all this stuff. And he and Zero gets offended, and he's like, "Hey, hold on!" Like I just love that exchange, and it just uh, it's just perfect. It, it's really, really good. Yeah, and how most of the film is told back in like flashbacks. So when you first enter the film, it's this rundown hotel. It looks gross. It's all worn out. Nobody's going to it anymore. It's not this magical place. And it's at like the full frame of the TV. And then every time he recounts it, we have the older Zero recounting the events. Um, of course the lobby and of course the entirety of the hotel is just gorgeous and that's why the film looks so magical and beautiful is because it's him 
retelling it. It's just his remembrance of this hotel. It might not have been this beautiful. Mm -hmm. It really might not have. But because yeah. it's just him reimagining the film, and that's why the light on Agatha when they're at the carnival is just magical. And it, that's why the film feels so magical because it's just him recollecting how beautiful life was back then. And so it's at like that, you know, that boxed in frame. So everything is so aligned perfectly and it fits so well. I love yeah. it. Yeah, it's just everything about it is just beautiful. I think it's great that the hotel isn't like an actual hotel that they scouted out. And it was rundown, so they did all the scenes of the rundown shots there, and then they built it all up to look beautiful for like the later uh, yeah. background shots. It's great. It's a beautiful movie. I really like it. Yeah, it really is a beautiful film. It's just you got to watch it. You got to watch it, appreciate it, and just fall in love with it because there's no no other way to watch it but to enjoy. Yeah, and I don't know what this says about me, but I, another you know notching up for it uh, another reason why you know I, I really do love this movie i this is might be the perfect film to drink red wine with like man when i want to sit down with a film and drink red wine i instantly i'm like man i should i should watch grand budapest again now it, it just goes so well with it it's like yeah. the red and pinks and just like the beautiful vibe with it uh yeah it, you know it, it works really well with a nice merlot it's like a charcuterie board. <laughs> it, it is, yes, because, you know, the meats and cheese work so well. This works well with wine. Thank you. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. There you go. That's, uh, yeah, I I agree. I, I don't drink enough wine. I uh, I enjoy partaking in, in some cannabis when I watch his films myself. But uh, it's, uh, it's, he's just, it's such a fun, he's just such a fun filmmaker to sit down with and just enjoy you know like you can really his films have aged so well they offer so many different things upon rewatch they never really get old either they just get better like going back to your wine they're like fine wine they just get better as they get older it really does uh, i've rewatched quite a few over the last few weeks and not a single one of them i like lowered the score for i've either it's either stayed the same or i like increased the score because i just love it that much more uh, for my rating so it really does just grow on you, all of his films. You know, I should probably watch the ones that I put lower on my list because I'm sure I'll enjoy them more. Because, yeah, there's just, he put so much detail in them, right? Like, I feel like, you know, some blockbuster films, like, I don't know, I've never rewatched Fast Five. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe it does get better on a rewatch. It may, actually, maybe that's the wrong example because that one actually has, like, some cool twists and stuff. Let, let's <laughs> say, uh, yeah, let's say, like, Furious 7. You know, I've never rewatched that. I don't know. Like, like did do is it more enjoyable on a rewatch? Is there like more depth that I'm missing from it? But like, I don't know. Wes Anderson. There's just so many layers to it. I, I don't know. It just feels like you appreciate more little additions he adds to it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's hard to say, right? You know, film is subjective, so everyone has a different interpretation of of things. You know, some people might absolutely find more when they rewatch like a big budget blockbuster film they might find more depth in it but chances are because they are big budget films like they're more keen on getting the product out than they are on getting the art out uh, right and so like you said there's there's less depth there's less layers of course there are some amazing blockbuster films that you know kind of grow on you because they're made by filmmakers who do think of those things like right. i think of like some steven spielberg blockbuster films like a lot of those films if you watch them again you see a bit more depth 
Um, but even he is, despite being such a fantastic filmmaker, he's still a big blockbuster filmmaker. And I know he has some more intimate films as well, but at the end of the day, that's him. Whereas Wes Anderson, he is really all about the art. He's an artist first and foremost. He's an auteur, you know. Heck, he's one of the only guys left that are, you know, a true auteur. Someone who has his hand in every little aspect of the film and conducts it. And it has Wes Anderson's stamp of approval on absolutely everything. Whereas, like, you know, you contrast it with Phil Nev, who by appearance you would assume is also an auteur, but really he's more of a conductor who brings the best people together to do yeah. the best job possible. Anderson, he's the painter. He's, he's the guy with the brush, you know. He, he has that passion and that drive to add to his films and build those layers up so that when people come back and watch their film, his films again in the future, they get more out of it, whether it's because they've gotten older, because they have a new perspective on life, uh, or just because they're able to, they're in a different frame of, you know, frame of mind so they can better appreciate the film or pay more attention to it. You know, like I feel like maybe I'll, I'll better appreciate Life Aquatic on a rewatch because I'll try and pay more attention to what's happening uh, with the characters and the backgrounds and everything. And, I can't see any of these films ever getting worse in terms of rating. They can only get better. And it's just because he really, he, he just goes all out, you know, like it's like looking at a painting, you know, the more you look at a painting, the more you discover, the more meaning you, how you find behind it, the more meaning you make of it. Yeah. I think and, that's uh, a really good way to put it. Yeah. I think his films really do feel like you're just looking at a painting, not, not just in like the yeah. style, obviously that, that really helps you think it's a painting, but yeah, like you said, just in like how much detail he puts and like, it's such an ensemble cast. Like every character has their own quirks and their own like <laughs> motivations that like he puts a lot of thought into these lines of dialogue and story and storylines that they might have that on rewatches, you like appreciate different characters more, you appreciate moments more. So yeah, it definitely, uh, you know, on rewatches, similar to art, like when you look at a painting, you start to notice details they put in separate spots uh, a little bit more and you appreciate it that much more as a whole. So no, I do think that helps. And going back to what you said about blockbusters, it is definitely blockbusters that I have in my top 30. And, you know, there's, I think the, yeah. I think the appeal to blockbusters is that, you know, just like the action is so cool and like just so well done that that's the drive to go back and rewatch just to like see those cool cgi scenes or whatever they might have on display because uh, it's pretty exciting on the big screen and on a rewatch maybe you'll appreciate some of those more so yeah there's definitely mm. different things to look for uh just depending on the type of film yeah definitely like i think about things like you know raimi's spider-man 2 and the more you watch it you know how it kind of deconstructs the hero a little bit more and it's it's more of a a, a film about a guy dealing with two different lives and trying to figure out which which life he wants to go forward with or you know more recently with Villeneuve's Dune you know a huge blockbuster film but when you watch it and then you watch it again you see the level of depth you see the thought process behind things like the costumes or the world the set design like it's like everything is thought of and even like going way back to Lord of the Rings which uh, is a huge blockbuster, but the filmmakers there, they spent so much time developing the details and bringing that world to life that the more you watch it, like the more you kind of 
kind of be immersed in those films, at least in my experiences. I know you you have a bit of a different appreciation of Lord of the Rings than, than myself, but I think we can both agree that there are filmmakers who get to make big movies like that that do put the effort in, and there are others who don't, and that's fine. I'm thinking there's, there's room and space for those as well, but it's really nice when you're... When you do make the effort of putting in depth into your films, regardless of if it's an indie film, you know, or if it's a huge, big blockbuster film. No, I completely agree. And, you know, I can't say anything about Lord of the Rings because I still haven't seen the second and third. So, they're, they're, you know, <laughs> like, uh, I'm abstaining. I can't even comment because I feel like I can't even fully appreciate the movie. But, uh, you know, we still, right. I own them. I, got, I, I should watch them soon. You know, I'll have to find a reason to watch. Maybe I'll do like a ranking for like those in Hobbits. That'll be my my excuse but yeah I'll, <laughs> I do, hobbits I do. are a little different but yeah <laughs> yeah it's probably worth doing a ranking at least yeah yeah it'd be fun that's just what's great about film as a whole you know Wes Anderson's far from these uh you know big budget big scale blockbusters he, they're very self-contained and so I think for people that like those kind of films you know people that like like that kind of art uh this is definitely <laughs> movies people will enjoy if you've i'm sure people have seen grand mood best if you've seen it unless you're my brother who thought it was boring somehow which is it boggles my mind I, i've had debates with him for weeks but that's beside the point you know uh, anyone else if, you, if you've liked those uh check out his other films because you know they're all great yeah and on top of it he has two coming out in the next couple of years here Apparently, they just finished filming his next film, I know. and they're already working on the next one. I know. So. I'm, I'm blown away. Do, you, do we know the budget of Wes Anderson's upcoming films? Are they just as big as his most recent ones? Uh, I wonder. I wonder if I can pull it up. I don't know right off the top of my head. Okay. but because uh, like my fear I, is that Disney now you know, owns the rights to uh, you know, 20th Century Fox, and they were the ones that would always distribute his films. My fear is that... Disney doesn't really take it, you know, you know, do they care that much about Wes Anderson? I think they pushed back French Dispatch a week just because they forgot about it. Like, I don't know how much they love Wes Anderson. So I'm just, I'm just, wor I was first worried they just weren't going to give him any more money to make movies. But now that I know that there's two coming out, like, I'm stoked. I'm very happy that Disney's still team Wes Anderson. I'm just curious if he's getting the same scale and budget. Because, like, man, that, that's why I love Dispatch and Grand Budapest is because they're so gorgeous in scale so i hope that they yeah. keep that going agreed like if he gets the blank check and he's yeah. able to just build the sets that he wants and do what he really wants and you get the best like i mean you got to understand that with wes anderson you know you're not going for a box office hit yeah. you know you're you're you will bring some money in eventually you'll probably break even because his films obviously do very well with physical media, and a lot of people want to buy his collector editions of his films. Sure. They get put on Criterion and all this stuff. So there's definitely like that benefit. But yeah, it, you know, as a studio, you got to understand that you're getting art out of this guy, and it's not about the money. And you know, knowing Disney, you know, that's not really something that you would immediately uh, assume they would do, but if they're really giving him the chance to make these movies and do what he wants to do, yeah. I'm, I'm all for it. I'll be pro pro Disney in this case. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The yeah. fact that at least just based on the fact that he's making a second one already after dispatch, yeah. like that to me shows that at least Disney saying, 
go, 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 go. Like we like keep making what you want to do. Like we support you. Like, yeah, I'm team Disney here. Like totally. I, I, it's, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm shocked that there's two in the works right now. Like that is so exciting to me. I'm very happy that that was announced. Super excited. You know, I thought maybe they give him money every few years. Okay. Yeah. Here you can make another one. Um, but the fact that he's yeah. done two in such a short span, like, you know, uh, great on disney i'm very excited I, i'm very excited for more wes anderson yeah I, I don't think there's a single one i'm gonna miss at the theaters i'm gonna watch every single one in the theaters it's just so exciting to me yeah me too uh me too and uh, i'm really excited i mean just going off the fact of who's gonna be in this film uh this looks like a crazy ensemble cast uh, full of you know your favorites like bill murray and uh you know jeff goldblum he's bringing brian cranston scarlett johansson back you know he's gonna have margot robbie and tom hanks in this one too like that's i'm looking forward to that that'll be interesting this is all in the one that was just filmed right we don't know anything about the second one no nothing about the second Perfect. one this is yeah. just the next one that's a good cast it's it's yeah. been described as being larger than most other anderson films that are ensemble in nature so whatever that means, I'm yeah. here for it. I don't know what that means, but hey, I'm stoked. Especially Goldblum. I love Goldblum. He's, he's fantastic in Grand Budapest. I'm a sucker for him. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And see, I think whatever he's in, he's just hilarious. He's just such a good, such a fun actor. And always, always looking forward to whatever he portrays. Yeah, no, no, I, I support Disney here. And you know what? My favorite thing about Disney Plus was rewatching all the Wes Anderson films. I'm not going to yeah. lie. Like that, that was the first time I touched my Disney Plus account in months. I think I haven't touched it in like six months. And then I went, yeah. oh, wait, they're all on there. I can just watch it there. Like, that's awesome to me. That's so great. Yeah, so, I got to give yeah. props to that because like it's because of Disney Plus that I saw things like Rushmore and like Bottle Rocket, like yeah. those, the earlier films, I. You know, I was I was trying to think like I know they're popular and you can find them, but I was like, oh, I'm probably gonna have to buy these on like Criterion or something if I'm gonna watch them. And then nope, Disney added them in once they did the merger with Fox, and I was like, that's awesome, sweet, now I can watch these. So that's everything on our end here. I do love how you did a little shout out to Dune with Denis Villeneuve Sush, since uh, Sush and I will be returning with a guest this time. We'll have a third person with us for the Denis Villeneuve ranking. But uh, yeah, yeah, we'll be back with another ranking shortly. Uh, the two of us with uh, with George. So that should be fun. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. I got a couple movies to watch of his, his earlier films as well. So yeah. uh, got to do some homework, but I'm really looking forward to that. He's another uh, one of my favorite filmmakers at the moment. Uh, and I think he's he's one of the best uh, currently working in terms of large scale filmmaking. Yeah, I'm in the middle of my Villeneuve binge right now. I've seen four, maybe five of his right now, and I still have like another four or five left to see. So yeah, yeah. I'm right in the middle of it. And I, I'll tell you, I think this is my first time really binging all of his movies. I think I've seen like one beforehand. I, I, I think I might agree with you. I think he might be one of the best modern directors. Like every single one. I don't think there's been one that I was disappointed in. I've been blown away by all of them. I'm just grateful that we got these amazing uh, artists making movies and putting them out. And I'm glad that, you know, uh, despite all the delays with COVID and whatnot, that we're still able to see these films and, and get to enjoy them on the big screen as they were intended. Yeah, yeah. 2021 has definitely been a much-deserved treat compared to last year. You know, we get to go to the theaters. Yeah. I got to see some of my favorite directors and their films up on the big screen, like Edgar Wright and 
Villeneuve and Wes Anderson. So it really has been a great year so far. Um, and, and, you know, uh, more to come. You know, we already have a guarantee on Dune 2, and obviously we just discussed the guarantee for the next two Wes Anderson. So we're, we're good to go, Seuss. We're, we're, we're eating. We're eating. I'm yeah. all here for it. <laughs> yeah, we're eating those delicious treats we saw in French Dispatch. So, so we're good to go. Yeah, I'm going to look like the Baron after all these movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so yeah. And that's everything on my end. Anything else you want to say, Sush? Are we good to go? No, I just want to say thanks for having me on the podcast. I think it's been uh, nearly a year since the last time I was on, which was for the uh, David Fincher ranking. Uh, so thanks for you know thinking of me and having me on. I'm glad I was able to uh, watch these movies and, 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 and be a part of this discussion today. No, of course. I think I told you this off camera, but I'll tell you here. Like, you get an open invitation. If you you come to me and say, "I want to rank this." We'll rank it. I, I I just love having you on. I feel like I feel like we, you know, I feel like we bounce off each other pretty well. I love having you here. So of course, I'm glad to have you here for the second time. It's it's tons of fun. Uh-huh. Awesome. Yeah, maybe eventually we'll get to that Western ranking. Western yes, movie yes, ranking I still, I still have the do. list. Yeah, so I'm, yeah. I'm ready to go. I, well, I haven't seen them, but you know, I'm, I'm ready to go whenever we want to start doing that. Uh, maybe in like the, you know, there's a bit of a slow season, I think, from like February to July for ranking. So we'll do that next year. Sure. That sounds good to All me, right, buddy. Sounds good. I'll see you in a few weeks. Uh, is there anything you want to plug, Sush? Anything you want people to check out? Uh, no, I mean, you can follow me on Instagram at Silver Screen Wanderer. Sometimes I post, uh, you know, Filmstagram related uh, content reviews on films, commentaries on films, or, you know, just talking about some actors and actresses that I'd, uh, I like. I do that in partnership with my buddy, Matt. Uh, he, he sometimes participates in and uh, does some write-ups for it as well. So it's not very active. I haven't posted in a while, but if you're ever interested... Uh, you can find me there. Yeah, definitely check it out. I think your Green Knight analysis was really great. It might be one of my favorite films of the year still. Uh, and it, I loved reading it. It was really good. That was, uh, yeah, that's a fantastic film. So, I had a lot of fun with that. I can't wait to rewatch that here going into the holiday season because it is a Christmas movie. So <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, that's hopefully true. watch it yeah. again. <laughs> is that technically a Christmas movie? I guess it is. So anyways, that's everything here for the Wes Anderson podcast. Uh, you'll see me and Sush, or I guess you'll hear us, for the uh, Villeneuve ranking. And until then, have a fantastic day, guys.